podcast. Jeez, it, it was the auditor controller. Which was it was twenty twenty two. Yeah, two years. That one, that, man. Yeah, every election season, man. Every I couple know. Years, I come on, like, hey, here's some bullshit going stable. on behind the elections. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting election season. Yeah, obviously nationally, but even locally, I'm right. interested to see how it all pans out. And full disclosure, I'm I'm now I'm campaign manager for the the uh, no on housing for all campaign. So okay, like just ahead, put out up. conflict of interest. I have, I have a biased opinion, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll talk about it. Online. How did you get started with that? Did they being the campaign manager? Yeah, I rabble roused. I mean, not we'll, like we'll, you. We can talk. <laughs> Who me? Yeah, we could talk about it once the cameras are rolling, but. Uh, yeah, so so often uh, with activism, especially local local activism, it's you come up with a plan to address the problem, approach a bunch of people who who also see the problem that don't have a plan, and say, "Let's fucking do something." Should we do something? Let's do something. Should we do something? Um, right? It, you just show up and be about it instead of talk about it. That's how you. <laughs> that's that's how you get political activism paid gigs. Is like. If you're going to ask me to put my time into this plan that I have showed you, I'm going to, I'm going to have to not take other contracts. So it's almost another foreign concept today. Yeah. And you know, nobody likes talking about money. Do you want one of these bad boys? No, I'm good. Nobody likes talking about money, but everybody needs it, especially if you're going to run a campaign. Yeah. And I don't mind talking about money. It's all, I mean, a lot of what we're about to talk about. That was a lot of what we talked about last time you were on too, was follow the money. Follow the money. Here's where the money is. Nobody did anything. Nobody reads below the headlines. C'est la vie. (laughs) Have you heard, I think it's Gordon Clotworthy gave an interview (laughs) with Lost Coast Outpost about some money in relation to Rex. Have you heard anything about that? I mean, he had a conversation with Ryan that Ryan took Burns. in a lot of ways. Ryan Burns, yeah. Uh, I've I've talked with Gordon. I'm 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 voting for Gordon. Uh, he's nothing against Rex, but I'd say he's more what represents me <laughs> <laughs> as far as looking into things in politics. Uh are we rolling? Yeah, we're talk going. About, oh, we're going. Great. Yeah. Oh, fuck we're yeah. Hey, welcome, everybody. Shit. Okay, then we'll talk, we'll talk about this for real. And uh, um, yeah, I'm a Gordon Clatworthy fan. I've, I've, I've met him. I've talked to him. Um, he, he represents my values. Uh, he is very new to politics. And boy, it seems like, like every time that we're talking, I have, I've, I'm like talking about how everybody needs to get involved and, and run for the first time. And especially like seeing people make those political stumbles versus, uh, you know, like the, the very smooth political moves. I'd never trust anybody who can do it. Well, that's just right. It's almost a red flag. If you can come out of the gate and you're polished and everything just falls into place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where'd all the money come from? That's what you got to ask. Right. Right. Or I mean, so Public speaking and political science and all these things, they are skills. I mean, you can, you can legitimately get them from non-nefarious means. I mean, I, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not black voodoo or anything. Or, you know, um, there's, there are people who are pretty good at, I don't know, rabble-rousing. Um, but the people who have that skill but not the desire to manipulate with it are, are the gems. Those are the good ones. And Gordon legitimately has like community interests at heart. wants to wants to make the world a better place. Um, he's 
he's an artist. He does a lot of uh, film and things. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I like Gordon. Um, Rex is Rex. We all know Rex is a known variable. We, we know exactly what, what we're getting on the tin. It's on his sign. Rex plays ball. Um, so, uh, and that's fine if that's what folks in Ferndale and Fortuna and want, like that's, that's the majority of the voting block there that, the, that goes for that. And, and I get it. Like he's got a very down home roots there. Um, a lot of, a lot of, and he, he legitimately does a lot of community support. I can't. You know, he sh- shows up at the school and barbecues the meat. Like he's, he, he doesn't, uh, like I haven't seen him to be like, I don't know, elitist or overproud. Uh, but he is, I mean, he's Rex. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to see some new blood in there. I mean, that's always my, like, take it from the old, give it to the less old. I mean, we can't give it to the young. Nobody, nobody's there yet, but less old. I'll take less old. <laughs> Less old. I think a lot of people are ready for a change or want a change. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I just don't know how, I don't know where Gordon's going to fall into that. If um, he's too green and so people are just going to revert he, or. If he is, and these are, this is, this is conversation I have with, with lots of people. Like, don't, you, you don't have to win your first time out. The first time you drove an automatic, a stick shift, you stalled the car. Everybody did. That's part of learning to drive the stick shift. To stall the, the first time you run up for public office, well, you get did fine. You get you get a couple votes. You great. Like if he's he's showing up pretty strong in the last loco poll. He's he's if if it's three way primary, he's going to go to the November ballot. Um, it's he's show, he's showing up and doing the job, and that and that's part of the thing. And he's he's getting endorsements. He's starting to get get some funding to put ads and things out, but he doesn't know. This is the first time he's done it. <laughs> Nobody's you're uh, figuring out as you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you build the pl- plane while it's flying, and oh God, keep the fuel in the engine. And uh, but that's now, not a good reference with what just happened with that plane. Did you see that? Oh God, Alaska. with the fuselage. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. That's uh, well, don't be building that plane. Well, I mean, maybe they should have, like, should have kept building it while it was flying for sure. Didn't at least build it better on the ground. But, uh, yeah, um, I don't, I'm not even all the way up on that disaster past a couple of headlines, but I know like door plug something, everything went wrong. So a lot of things go on in the world. A lot of things going on. (laughs) Where's Gordon at right now in the polls? I mean, the, is it close or he's the latest loco polls? He was at, I mean, last time I checked it, was it like 40, low 40s percent? Rex was at high 40s percent. Gerald, Jer, Jerry Maguire, it's Jerry Maguire. Uh, Jerry Maguire coming in at, at teens to 20s, depending on when you check the poll. I don't know. I didn't even know um, Jerry Maguire was running. Uh, yeah. I did not know that. Mm hmm. Okay. That nobody does. Yeah, that's, why he's pull, that's why he's pulling so long. I don't know anything about him. Um, it took me a second, as you saw, to recall his name. Um, and it was only because it was an instant mnemonic, of course, with the film. Yeah, I uh, thought it was just between Rex and Gordon. Which, disgustingly, you can actually get by on uh, to, to an amount with voters. It is. I mean, right now it is. Be, be, I mean, in a three-way primary, top two go. So, so it will be unless, unless Gerald Murray comes out with just so staggering. I don't, I, 
I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he's a hidden genius. I don't, I don't actually know him. So, um, that's a, that's kind of a wild card right now. Um, may, yeah, there's time yet. Maybe, maybe something will change, but if not, those two will go into the primary and, and those two are the, uh, kind of idealistic two that are the, the, the two that actually have something th- that they're campaigning on. And it's interesting that they're almost polar opposites in a lot of ways. In some ways. I mean, they, they support several of the same things. I mean, there, there's always more overlap in any two people than there is not. I mean, um, Gordon comes from an, from a Coast Guard background. Uh, so like there, there's going to be some, some like respect for the military, other, other things that they agree on. Um, but yeah, they're not, they're not carbon copies of each other by any means. There is some, there's real difference in the candidates and that you don't see like in some things like, like assembly races or, or, you know, state, uh, really boring state races. Um, the, the state comptroller It's like, oh, one of two competent bean counters. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Like you usually don't see in an auto controller race to, to just throw back to two years ago. But, uh, yeah, like I say, uh, values driven Gordon's more my speed. I haven't heard him say anything racist. <laughs> that helps. Um, there's other things on the, there's the also measure a on the ballot. I, I would be Which remiss. Has, to there's my been a lot folks. going around about that. Yeah. That's on, that's on the primary ballot coming up. Um, that's my, uh, like that is just the, the dead end of, of small farmers in the industry. Um, what is measure a exactly for people that don't know? Okay. So, (laughs) right. So for those who don't, who don't obsessively wonkishly follow all this measure a is the, uh, cannabis reform initiative. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what they're calling. Um, it's, it's a grievance initiative. I would call it. Um, some folks didn't like that somebody in their neighborhood got a permit. Um, I can't speak as to why I know the fellow who got the permit, uh, competent, nice guy, uh, was a consultant, uh, in the industry. One of the few people that I would like refer customers to if I was full, like, Hey, if you, need, you trust them. Yeah. You need your, you need your planning done for your, for your thing. Here's a couple of different numbers. He's on my list. So, um, and he stayed out of it for the longest time. Recently went public, but I still won't name his name for sake of his privacy. You can look it. Um, but uh, so, in response to him getting a ten thousand square foot permit, uh, these folks wrote an initiative on their own. Zero stakeholder input. Didn't go wide with the community. Did did all the things that you do wrong to when you have like good intentions and more faith in yourself more and an american level of confidence we'll put that's all you need you can make it a long way with that right um and they wrote themselves an initiative based on the initiative of the advice they got that was who boy i mean all of the things that they say they wanted to do they explicitly wrote the inability to do 
right? They want a, a greener, smaller cannabis industry. We all do like like more more widespread. I keep saying that the cannabis doesn't need or humble doesn't need uh, ten billionaires in cannabis. It needs it needs ten thousand millionaires. It needs ten thousand strong businesses like long, broad, widespread, decentralized wealth. That is how you build resilient communities. Uh, and th- that's what we all want is, is good, strong, small farms. But this makes small farms unable to run. Um, it puts in um, new lighting restrictions, new, um, basically a, a list of more restrictions for the industry, uh, including the inability to upgrade. You're locked into your first plan. If you if you want if if some new solar design comes out that's ten thousand more times efficient, and you you're like I will immediately uh, switch over. You can't. And it and the thing with initiatives is you can't change it except by initiative. You can't like once it's voted in, it's that's the law. In. And until somebody else spends forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars to campaign for a new initiative. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe shoestring. The, the, the measure a folks to their credit don't have a lot of big money behind them, but they don't have a lot of anybody behind them. So, oh, no one measure. <laughs> like if you, if you think that we should have small cannabis farmers in Humboldt County, but no one measure a, that's the, that's the short version. If you want them all gone, right. It's a great way to do it. Don't, um, like it's still a chunk of our economy. It's, it's a staple of our community. It's a bunch of our friends and neighbors. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Which the only real damage it's doing is it's pricing out the mom and pop farms. It's exactly what it's you're, doing. And you're not hurting the big guys that can come in and say, okay, yeah, fine. We've got the money to bankroll this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, oh, and it also, uh, it also shoots in the foot, the relocation program, uh, because the way, the way it's worded, like someone can't then have someone put a separate permit on their land. Like the, the way, the way it is right now to get things out of sensitive areas in the hills and like timber zones and, pl- and, and places where we don't want forest fragmentation and things like that. Uh, if your grow was in the hills and you, you go through permitting, you can take what you grew in the hills, double it and get a permit of that size or on, uh, on new land or leased land often that also has a permit. Hey, let's all grow together. And that's great. That's, I mean, more people, I hope, get to take advantage of that. That's kind of, was kind of a bottleneck for a while to find donor sites, but I think that's opened up. But this will close that again. And so all of a sudden, people are doing small gorilla grows in the hills that want to do small gorilla grows on farmland. <laughs> Can't. Um, so they're stuck there. And, and once again, we keep a black market. Unregulated market. Which is what everybody's worried about. Cause those are the ones that do the damage. You drive people back underground. That's when waterways start getting polluted. There's trash out in the hills, mm-hmm. which is what in theory, all of this was supposed to prevent. That's exactly right. Every, every time a NIMBY, uh, there's like, uh, there's been a couple of mom and pops that I've showed up for at the, at the county level and, uh, like with a bunch of NIMBYs like, Oh, but cannabis is bad. Like every, you're, you are complaining for the status you are, you are actively lobbying to keep your complaints ingrained in the status quo. If you don't let these things operate in a regulated way, they can only, they will continue to operate in an unregulated way. The only thing you're doing is encouraging all that was wrong, right? And taking away our ability to enforce things. If you, if you think your neighbor 
I don't know, should have more security at their place. I, I don't know. I, there's not a whole lot of like, if you don't like the smell of pot, well, what are you doing in a farm agricultural area anyway? Well, garlic, onions, and cows is worse, but personal opinion. So in your opinion with this measure, is it just kind of designed to restrict the growth of it a little bit? Or what do you think the intention was bringing it forward? The, I believe them when the, the, the authors, when they say that their intent was to defend mom and pop growers from overbearing corporate taxes, et cetera. But, but what they did, right? There's a long gap between intent and execution, between idea and impact. And what they have designed for themselves, if their intent is true, I have no, I have no reason to doubt that, they have created the exact opposite conditions of what they want. <laughs> and, um, and it hasn't gotten any support. There's not a single grower that's like, this will be great for my farm because it won't, not for anybody, not for the growers they're targeting, not for the growers, I mean, kind of for the growers that the, the, the help keep away because they can al always go for like the conditional use and the higher level of permits and, and be, I mean, and assuming there's any level of government graft involved. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure nobody has ever gotten their permit through a, an extra fee, if you take my meaning. Um, I mean, I would say I was sure of that, but I also, I already know that like there's been federal investigations into local uh, building planning enforcement on that, on that issue. And it has not gone our way. Um, so yeah, but I mean, don't vote no one measure right. That's, that's the very short version. <laughs> I haven't heard any growers or anybody in the industry come out to support it. Nope. The challenge is if you got some people who maybe don't smoke weed, don't even think about it and see that on the ballot, maybe they vote. Maybe. And again, it's, it's a case of people not reading below the headline. And we're going to talk a lot about more on the housing thing on that. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, they're able to frame it in a way that's like, yay, growers, but then they don't have any growers. <laughs> like, that's the tell. Um, kind of a red flag. Yeah, yeah. But but again, and I have to I have to remind smart people of this all the time. And then people that are specialists in their field and people that, that are that are out doing the thing, I have to keep reminding them like the world is made up of C students. Right? And that's no no shade on C students. Like that is the average that that's 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 solid but it's not gonna read through all the details at the ballot box and the way we've constructed our society <laughs> is not to give people time resources training and aid to have really super informed decisions. Like we're about to have a real long conversation about some real, real boring stuff that, uh, that most people would never read through. Right. The, I, I do. So you don't have to, um, but that's what it comes down to is, is finding trusted sources that will digest all of these giant things for your, your average C student who's got a life and is very busy at their, at, at their fulfilling job. Like the, I think that's 90% of it is yeah. you're busy. Yeah. If you're working a nine to five, especially if you don't like your nine to five. Yeah. 
You're yeah, not going to spend time going through measures and and no. ballot options and try to figure out, okay, what are they actually selling me on this? No, I mean, you'll, you will be advertised to, and that's going to, I mean, that is just life in our, our capitalist ad driven attention economy society. But all of those advertisements are biased. <laughs> Everybody is speaking their piece. Um, you can, you can follow endorsements for trusted organizations, things like that. That can also help, uh, people that, you know, you're, that are aligned with your values that again, do the reading and have, have talked to the people and take the time to put it out there. That that's also a way to inform your, your, your vote. But yeah, we're, we're stuck on nine to fives. I mean, we, we live, we live in this capitalist rat wheel. We're stuck in the hamster cage. That is just fucking life to, I mean, I have created a luxury of a life for myself that is not necessarily a luxury of opulence and wealth, but a luxury of time and freedom um, that I, I work a high value job for, for low amount, amount of hours so I can spend a lot of time with my family and a lot of time following all this shit. A lot of time compulsively reading wonkish political stuff. That is that pleases me as a human. And I get that that's not everybody's bag, nor should it be. Don't be like me, everybody. Don't try. It doesn't work out. Your brain has to be broken in very specific ways. <laughs> is there a lot of, I mean, does this measure the people that supported it or brought it forward? Is there a, a lot of them? Is there a lot of support on that side from people that aren't in the industry? No. Just a small group of people. Not really. They haven't got a lot of academics. They haven't got a lot of land rights, land, land use um, advocates, none of the people who usually even fall in line against cannabis things. Um, I mean, except for your, your, your NIMBY contingent, the people who are like, but I want it to be like it was when I moved here 40 years ago. And I want, you know, I, I don't like the, don't like the sight of hoop houses in my farming residential agriculture neighborhood. I mean, okay. But no, <laughs> um, that's I, a very small contingent. I haven't, I haven't seen any like major voter push. There's no big money. There are no, very few donors The like all of their filings have been just basically a couple of people in Neeland who have created this, that, that, that are pushing it. Just trying to see where it goes. Yep. So let's see. Is there anything else that's interesting on the ballot? We've got Clatworthy. We've got Measure A cannabis. I mean, we'll uh, we'll we'll save all the big finish news for the for for the one that's on the November ballot. But like those two are on the March ballot. Those are coming up soon. Um, Clatworthy and and Bone, of course, we expect to go on to November. Um, but, you know what? The one thing that bummed me out about Gordon that I didn't get a chance to talk to him about. We didn't bring it up. I had him on the podcast okay. and we talked for a while. Good. He, have you seen any of the films that he put out? I haven't. It bummed me out that he scrubbed those. I don't know if he has a copy of them somewhere, but he scrubbed them from the internet, mm. which I could get if you're try if you're running and you think, you know, I need to be presentable or I need to sure. craft an image in some way. I get that, but that also kind of, I don't necessarily like that. And I wish I would have talked to him about it. We were talking about other stuff, but yeah. I think I, he's the one that brought it up that he did remove those from the internet or he took huh. them off somehow. I hadn't even noticed that. I mean, and, and Cause I tried to find them when we were doing the podcast. I was like, <laughs> I want to watch. I think there's three of them. This guy make? Yeah. And they're kind of a niche film projects. And I wanted to see, okay, what, what is this? I couldn't right. find them. 
I mean, I have a feeling being comedy, it was probably off color and off, and you know, being low budget, it was probably off. But embrace that. And that's part of that's part of your arc yeah, as a person, you know. Well, okay, like as a human being, embrace your your goofy, weird, a little a little like brunchy side. Sure, like if that if that's what it was in the comedy, but when you are going door to door to voters in Ferndale. I can understand why that's not what you want to present right away. Um, and some of that might like may also be like fear of people from people that he created those things with of just like review bombing and people, people showing up in the comment section and, and being shitty and uh, you know, like legitimate wounds to their craft as well. I don't, I don't, I don't know. This is all just speculation having heard it just now. <laughs> I mean, it's de it definitely poses an aspect of being an attack vector, depending on how they panned out or what the content of them was. Yeah. For people, like you said, in Ferndale or... You just... I don't know. I it's a data about that point. I was like, yeah. It's, it's something to be aware of. But he, I'm biased because I, I put out shit that maybe <laughs> shouldn't be out there all the time. So from my perspective, I'm like, just leave it out there. Right. And there is zero percent chance that I'm ever going to run for public office. So I'll say whatever the fuck I want. That's <laughs> and but if my wife runs, sorry, baby. Yeah. Um, not to, yeah. It's out there, <laughs> but it's sad that that, and maybe this is just a gripe against the political atmosphere in general is that you have to do that to run, or there's a perception that you have to do it. You have to sanitize and flanderize yourself to, to be effective as a candidate. I, I see that. I mean, but, oh, it's going to pain my voice box to make this noise. Hold on a second. You have to hand it to Trump <coughs> for breaking that norm. That's going to be the sound bite <coughs> right there. I'm just going to clip that. Oh, right I in. hate the taste of it in my mouth. Um, but it is true that breaking that norm can have strategic value. It's time for the next shot at Jen. Well, not even just Trump, but look at Zelensky, who was a comedian. I think there's a clip of him True. pretending to play the piano with his penis. If that doesn't uh, break some norms, I don't know what does. <laughs> um, yeah, there, um, there's definitely that aspect to it. And we're finding, I mean, since the age of television and politics, we have found more media personalities becoming more prominent in the political landscape. Maybe it's why JFK being Nixon, whatever. Um, like it's maybe why Reagan was our president and all of our graphs do weird things in 1980. Uh, Every, every wealth disparity, every, every, every graph that's like, that shouldn't be like that, um, inevitably goes that direction in 1980. Um, the year of my birth, the first, the first year that, I mean, the upside was the very first year that the, uh, lead saturation levels dropped to what is now our atmospheric lead count after putting in unleaded gasoline as the man mandatory. Um, so, you know, a lot of weird graphs, correlation, not causation. Um, but you see a lot of like media personalities in politics once 
that visual charisma comes forward. I mean, you 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 see a lot of a lot fewer strategic plan platforms like here is here is my five point housing plan. Haven't heard that from a single candidate in I don't know years. Like here is what I will personally do. Here's the plan that I will do to make this one thing demonstrably better using the process of government. It's not what we campaign on anymore. That's not that's not the choice anymore. And boy, it's going great for us. I can't tell you a single policy of any candidate that's running at a national level. Other than Vivek's got a few I could throw out there that are yeah interesting, but yeah, I mean, what's what's Ron DeSantis? What's his stance on foreign policy right now? Lock them all up. Uh, lock them out. But that's the world that we're in. Is it doesn't the policy doesn't matter? It's your presentation. Exactly. Like it's ideals and and pathos and you know slogans. That, Sound that bites. People, yeah, exactly. What you can fit on a ten minute, thirty second, or a ten second or thirty second news clip. Um, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty details and who spends the money and how it gets done and who who actually holds the hammer and builds the thing. I mean, nobody has, no, nobody steps in with like, and here's how it's going to go because that's not how we run politics. anymore. I mean, tragically, that's Joe Biden's campaign right now (laughs) that he is doing that and it's not going well because I mean, well, until recently he hasn't been going out and been like rah, rah, rah campaigning. He's been going about the job of being president and I get that it's busy, I guess. Um, I guess there must be a lot going on. Um, and you, people have opinions on how he's handled it, but as, as far as like an actual, like how his campaign is set up, it's very like, Hey, check out these really boring numbers that you're never going to find out what they mean because you have a nine to five, all the reasons we just said, because you have a nine to five job and the world is made up of C students and it, like it takes time to process that much dense information for, for people who whose whose brains aren't wired a certain way but even the numbers that he's putting out are getting altered all the time after he puts them out there i mean he's his campaign i don't know that you would say this is the ideal campaign that you want to run and use that as a benchmark to build yours off of i don't know what a good campaign would look like obama spectacular campaign obama obama's campaign was was really good it was so it was so good that it upset the standard order, right? It was truly a grassroots campaign, went broad, almost viral. I mean, before that was really a thing, went big. I mean, he didn't, he had a strong, he had a strong, but old school candidate in Mitt Romney. Um, and then, and then also Matt, uh, McCain, like both, both of those were, were establishment strong, old school candidates, but he ran a modern campaign completely around them. Um, he, 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 he was kind of the first candidate to have a great opportunity to use the internet and social media the way he did. And it's, and don't bet for a second that a bunch of people on the other side didn't learn those lessons and maybe do things like Cambridge Analytica with them like that. Like that's, uh, he, his campaign staff pioneered that and it helped that he was charismatic, legitimately good candidate 
in my point of view. Strong um, orator could actually yeah. talk and sounded presidential. Yeah. And, but could also do casual. I love that, that, that picture of him, like the, the shaking, shaking a bunch of like white people in suits hands. And then Shaq goes up to him and is like, Hey, and, and suddenly he's a human, right? That's not something most politicians are good at because like we just said, that's the sort of thing that you have to sanitize from yourself. But, but he didn't, and I, I believe that was a conscious choice on his part, and it was one part being true to yourself and, and maybe a moral decision, or he's an evil genius, and he's like, I must present human face in my lizard suit, or whatever. Which is impressive, either way, if he was just yeah putting on this front and managed to go that far with it, or if that was organic. Yeah. Either way. Either you got you got to give him credit just for how he ran the campaign. Yeah, e- either way, and other, I mean there were a lot of people behind the scenes that were making a lot of decisions about how and when and where those moments were created. Because I'll tell you, in the political arena, there's somebody somewhere on the campaign at all times. There are there are always from from top to bottom being like creating moments to be photo opportunities. And if you can make them genuine, if you have a candidate that, like Obama that has like oh, that, that real uh, human heartfelt ability to just like be an actual person or again, mimic it great, <laughs> uh, then there you are. You have, uh, you, have, you have the recipe to create those moments. But the fact that there was a camera there means that somebody planned it. We're not quite in that level of panopticon, certainly not in a public availability panopticon. Although, you know, our little, our little monitoring devices are always here ready to do their deed. Um, but for something to get, to get snapped and go public like that, but you do, you do catch the real human moments. Like, there's the um, there's the moment where I mean, anytime Joe Biden is with kids, like the, he can he can be a human being. He can he can have. I don't a real know if that's, that's a good not example because like Grandpa Joe, the sniffing Joe thing, kind of okay. took the cake with that. That's now any fine. picture of him with kids if he's bent over, it's eh, get a little dicey. I mean, whatever. I like it's a little weird, but I don't think it's like gross. Uh, but there's like there's that moment with I believe it was the son of like the slain officer from January sixth. It might it might have been another slain officer, um, but like um, you know he was there paying respects, and uh, the guy's son, um, who I believe had Down syndrome, um, like uh, w- w- was crying and like ran up and then said something, said something heartfelt and, and Joe just like gave him a real human hug and you know, that, that kind of thing. Like, um, sure it's grandpa stuff, but what do we expect from, from grandpa Joe? Right. I mean, it's, it's that I can't expect Obama levels, the, the Obama type of connecting with people. He, he connects with people in the same way a grandpa has to connect with people. Which is fine. I mean, well, he connects with people in the same way you would if you had known them for forty years and you had built this rapport, and people kind of understood who you are. Yeah, Obama had that aspect where he came in, f- not necessarily fresh, but 
he didn't have that repertoire, that catalog that Biden did, where people could look at him and say, okay, I know what this yeah. guy's, uh, I know what he's going to do. Yeah. And it's because, partly it's because Joe Biden has been in that arena for a long for, yeah, time. Exactly. He does have that Rolodex. He does have those, those long relationships and, 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 you know, he's, he's been around people that know him the whole time. Obama was, uh, fresh in a way that he's not right. Obama, Obama could bond with you quickly, right? You'd you see him, uh, you know, in, in different public interactions of like very quickly getting, getting tight with people. Um, I don't know. There's like the, the clip where, where he's voting and, and this woman's voting next to him. And I guess her boyfriend goes by and is like, don't touch my lady now. And he's like, I wasn't planning on it, but like, man, a brother going out of his way to embarrass you. Like that's, that's not going to go well for, you know, like, like immediately developing a rapport with just the stranger next to him. He didn't need 40 years of backstory. So, um, but other than that, I mean, there's no barnstorming campaigns like on the, on the national level. <sighs> what a, what a mess, right? I wonder if we're going to have to revert back to some semblance of authenticity though. Now oh, where there I'm... are cameras everywhere, everyone has a cell phone in their pocket. They can grab you at any moment. You almost have to be more authentic or seem that way because you can't you can't be on 100 percent of the time and it's if you're true. running for president there's going to be cameras on you every second you're out of it's, your house i don't know man like if we're back to ron desantis <laughs> like that dude that dude is a machine at every moment like, but it's coming out i mean the this is well, kind of a tangent but the heels thing did you see that with his shoes yeah. you can't hide that forever he made nope. it a couple months into the campaign, made it a while, and then all of a sudden people start noticing what's going on here. Well, yeah, it's, it's that people realize that you're on the whole time. It's like, but like, you wouldn't have get you that. seen the man smile? This quote unquote smile. The, I mean, all of them. It, it looks like a, somebody drew a square on his, on his face. That's it's what not, they're saying about Nikki Haley too. Her smile, or she talks with her teeth shut or something weird like that, which you got to. Somebody huh. probably told her that's the way to do it. Oh, you need to show more teeth. Some right. Somebody in the background who's got some marketing or PR degree, and they're like, "No, you need to do this." And then it just freaking backfired. Right. Show them chompers. Um, but you're going to catch I mean, that now. That's the point. Maybe 40 years ago, or even 20 years ago, you might not notice that until it's too late. But does yeah, exactly? But. Exactly. Until it's too late, but does it matter in the moment? Like when you're first exposed to it, because okay, communication, 70% is what you say, but how you look 20% is how you sound. 10% is the content of your speech. Like very little of the actual words that people pour out of their mouths really land like the expression you're using when you do it. Um, I mean, some even even when it comes down to like music, how you sound versus what is said. There's some very powerful music that's like super upbeat with the, all the children are getting murdered lyrics. You know, the and and every the ki every children's song ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single nursery rhyme, um, and the juxtaposition of that is part of why it has staying power and power. Like that, that's part of the effect it has. Uh, Ring around the rosy. Well, that's what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we're burning bodies. <laughs> let's let's spread flowers so maybe it doesn't smell, um, and then we all die anyway. Uh, 
it's it's that kind of thing and so in the moment before someone catches it and commentates commentates on it before a communication analyst says look at this thing that is look at this weird smile that Ron DeSantis had um but in the meanwhile is Nikki Haley's smile in the room and the immediate in the first impulse having the effect and the polls say a little bit <laughs> i mean she she's a known variable people are people are pushing it out but um people are people are not hired hardwired for analysis we're we're our brain juice is such that this little jelly is great to make snap judgments right we're quick to form an opinion um especially now when when google foo means that the top 10 headlines are like that is not that is my opinion now and that can be bought um you know we don't we that that drive to delve deeper doesn't release dopamine right unless you have a, like a great aha discovery and eureka moment but what are you going to do in like what are you going to what are you going to have in the in eureka's housing element which we'll, we should get to in a second that's that's going to be like ha i have i have i have fulfilled my my body's requirement for reward to release dopamine i've hit the monkey switch and now my brain has happy juice no what what makes us happy is like i have an opinion I found a thing that, that reinforces my opinion. Aha. The, that's just how we're wired. Better or for worse. Look what it's done for us. I'm actually slightly optimistic that we might be able to write that ship in some ways. Just with, I mean, if you look at RFK's campaign, how he's going on these long form podcasts and talking for hours with people, I think that's a good sign. I think there's potential in that. It could be if it wasn't wrong about everything. Maybe if his whole campaign wasn't wasn't sponsored by the, by his his own ideological enemies, <laughs> maybe. Um, but again, you got to follow the money. Like you you, you see uh, Bannon and his circle behind behind that campaign. Um, uh, Roger Stone also that circle monetarily support the, the RFK campaign. It undercuts whatever, whatever good methods or ideas you might have. And a lot of his ideas are just, you're not a fan. I, it's, it is clear that he, well, once again, he, he makes a lot of opinions and doesn't do the research. Um, and but for what? Um, the vaccines, cannabis, um, God, I'm, I, I haven't looked too far into, into more of what he's come out with. Cause again, like what are the, what are the policy details, right? He has opinions on issues, but that's culture. War Have you read the book that he put out no. about Anthony Fauci? I want to read that book. Cause supposedly it's, it's, it's a dark read, but there's a lot of information packed into that. And he was an yeah. environmental lawyer for a long time. Yeah. Ended up the Hudson. I mean, he has a yeah. track record of doing some. He's done some good, good work. work. Like, I, I don't per personally have any reason to, to like doubt his personal conviction. It's the money element that's got you. That, that's a part of it. And that personal conviction being, being 
dead certain is not the same thing as being correct. <laughs> well, then I don't know if anybody running is correct about anything. No, I mean, no, nobody's correct about everything. That's, that's a hundred percent. And, but at the end of the day, I mean, so on the national scale, part of what I have to think about on the, uh, on the, especially like at places where national reactions have to come into play is that what are your criteria for decision-making? What do you mean national reactions? Okay. A, a disaster comes up. Um, Israel is cleansing Palestine. What is our national reaction? Um, there's a war in the U Ukraine and they need more. It's still more because they're up against one of the last three fading superpowers. Like they need more. Well, two fading one's doing just fine and it's not us. Um, right. Like what, what is the reaction? What is the plan? How do you make those decisions? Because what decisions you make, ultimately can be defended or attacked based on why you made them. What, what was the guiding criteria for your decision-making? And that's what I'm looking more for in, in a person, right? But in my value estimation, uh, reliance on expert analysis has to be in, in, in a very high position. The problem is you have to make sh you have to vet who those experts are, because experts sure. doesn't mean agreeance, and it doesn't mean everybody all the experts are on the same page. No, but science has. I mean, so peer review. That's what peer review is for. Like the 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 scientific method and the science the scientific like academic integrity sphere that we've created um, does does have that element built into it. There is accountability in peer review. Yeah, but it's hard. There's just a lot up in the air with where we are currently well, you can, when it goes to the this idea of experts. Pick. You can cherry pick, but you can also point to real situations where this, where experts have been in opposition to other experts in the same field and you side with one at the expense of the truth. And I think that's what can get you into trouble is you have to make sure when you bring somebody on as an expert, you got to really vet them and make sure what they're saying is legit. Generally true. I mean, you, especially because like we talked about this last time, trusted sources. Like if you hear something incorrect from a trusted source, it takes multiple uh, exposures to true information from equally trusted sources, right? That, that is, that is the case, but yeah, you know, being aware of that helps. Um, but the, you are correct in that you have to have to choose what experts it, you listen to, but even back to like the, the, the Royal Academy days of, 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 of um, you know, Isaac Newton, I can't remember the name of the, the, the Royal Academy of science. Um, but it, it was like, uh, trust no one's word. That was the first rule. You don't trust it because they said it. You trust it because they brought a whole bunch of evidence. They, they brought like, here are these numbers. Here is this study. Here is how this study was conducted. And you can see that controls were put in place to, to shut out 
shit information. Like you can, those, those people who, who, again, it's not presenting their opinions or presenting their values. That's an important part of what a representative does is have their opinions about these are, these are my values. These are the values of my voters. And I make decisions based on this value criteria, based on this information. Good decision-making requires good data. That is, that is a truism. That is just how it is. Like if, if you are to have, to be able to make a good decision, you require good data. And that's where the experts come in. It's is in collecting and presenting that data. What data do they collect? What data do they present? And, and again, you know, we, we talked about that. Like it's, you know, do you listen to the three experts that the gas company can produce? Do you listen to the thunderous uh, chorus of experts that are like, this shit is making us all crazy and we should stop putting it into our air. Um, right. Do we listen to the scientist who was like, I can't create a clean room because I can't vacuum. I can't cleanse the air of lead. I can't find out my geology questions because we've polluted the, the whole world around us. Right. So like, being able to get that good data, like what, what data do you trust? You like, you bring that up, but there's, there's criteria for that too. Like, uh, repeatable data. That's important. Like, could someone else flat earthers looking at you, could someone else perform the same experiment and get a different result or the same result when it just, when it just completely baffles you based on your worldview? Um, right. Like if, if, if that is replicable, if anybody could, could get that same data, could run those same numbers, could do the same math, could run the same experiment and get the same result. If I, if I make a light, light bulb sw- uh, circuit out of a nail and copper wire and a light bulb and, and a little paper clip and some rubber so I don't kill myself um, and a battery, like, will it happen? Well, yeah. This is why we know electricity is a thing, right? It wasn't a magic trick that somebody put on. It's, it, it wasn't, you know, Tesla's curse on the world. No, it, it's, it's, the way it, it, it's the way facts work. And so, like, finding facts and then the difference between facts and truth. There, there are many things that are factual. Doesn't put any air of truth around them because truth is an interpretive concept, right? Can you give me an example of that? comes to mind i mean so truth is more all right so now it's philosophical but truth is more guiding principle truth is what that data means and meaning inherently is a non-applicable non-analytical application subjective very subjective right what is true and what is factual i mean truth inspires people true truth the 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 search for truth is is our great mental exploration it's kind of, it's the final frontier the search for what is true and and in some ways that means like what is scientifically verifiable what is morally i don't know um 
Uh, I'm looking for a word. It's the one that means good. Uh, morally desirable, right? What it, what we, and then we get into things that are more analytical and, and the more analytical it is, the less you can apply a meaning of truth. Now we're talking about numbers and money and person hours, work hours into a project and, and, and less and less can be true because all of it is factual, right? That does not inspire. It does not, it does not move to enlighten. It does not create the, the, the quest to seek truth is a capital T by the way, when I'm saying truth, capital T truth, the truth, the thing, like things that are fundamentally guideposts for, for our existential movement through life. That can get a little wonky though. Yeah. People start taking truth in a number of different directions and then yep. we're not even on the same planet anymore. Has that not been the story of history? It's been, it's definitely been the story of the past few years. The all of history, all I mean, of history has, has been of, searches for truth that, that, that are conflicting truth. And I don't think conflicting truth is necessarily, I, it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in ideological conflict comes creativity, right? Through the con, conflict is not bad. Poor resolution of conflict is bad, right? I, because we have two separate ideas. That's fine. If we have to punch each other about it, now we're in poor resolution of conflict territory. Now we've hit a problem. <laughs> right? It's not that we have disagreed. It's that we can't find a way to be okay with that. And, and that in this day and age is also a thing. I mean, that's just how our culture has been polarized. Well, we seek conflict in a lot of ways. And I think some of that stems from sure. a life that has grown into being far less challenging in a lot of ways than it has been in the past. And so we seek out a different type of conflict. I mean, there's challenges and there's challenges. I'm going to, I'm going to say that there's a, there's a spectrum of privilege that overlaps with a spectrum of challenge and they don't go in the same direction. Yeah. But if you had to pick between living today or living in, you know, 499 BC, I'm picking today. I mean, I'm picking today. I don't know. So you say that until the warring tribe comes and you're like, take me back. I'm going back. That would be a long conversation. Like there, there's, there's a lot of points. Cause Hey, a world without government, I'm an anarchist man at the, at the core of my being, no masters, no Kings. That's something that's, that's going around locally. That's getting a lot of heat is this anarchism idea. Oh, Have you been following that? <laughs> Gomez. Yes, I know. Roy. Um, what is your take I'm, on that situation? For people that don't know, can you lay it out from your perspective what's happening between Roy and the Eureka City Council? Roy Gomez runs a cannabis business. He, through a nonprofit attached to that cannabis business, through community events that used uh, temporary liquor licenses from the ink people. But he was using all of them. <laughs> Just all of them and the ink people said no no i mean and and that like it also like threatened the ink people's ability to give temporary licenses because they were essentially giving one person a permanent license and so so they had to had to pull back on that now someone heavily involved with the ink people i believe their executive director leslie castellano also a city councilor um so wait so he was just repeatedly applying for these 
almost yeah. back to back. So he had a continuous license exactly. in some sense. Okay. Exactly. And that, and that was, you know, part of his business strategy, part of, part of whatever he was doing. Um, Leslie Castellano said no through the ink people and the, and also because there was a police element involved, like a law, like a, a, a legal alcohol distribution issue. She's on the city council. So in Roy's mind, those two things are linked. I mean, eh, are they? <laughs> but uh, from there, Leslie Castellano is a political ally of uh, Mario Fernandez. Who, okay, so the Eek people, I mean, fundamentally anarchist in their, in their world. Like, as an artist collective tends to be. It's, it's artsy folk. Like, there's no rules in art. <laughs> there's no laws. There are, in fact, the active breaking of, of social mores is part of art, part of what makes it thought-provoking. So, um, Leslie is an, is an artist involved with the Eek people, also on the city council. Um, Someone who has come out and endorsed her, backed her, uh, like backed her campaigns, showed up to like volunteer events. Mario Fernandez, another city councilor, is involved with the. Um, there's a Humboldt collective that I believe was at some point associated with the Humboldt Anarchist Book Fair. I don't know the exact association that is that Humboldt Grassroots. Humboldt Gra must be that. It must be that, which I think was also associated with the Ink people because every artsy non nonprofit is in some way associated with the Ink people because that's what the Ink people is, is an umbrella organization. It exists to create those resources for all these tiny micro nonprofits, right? It's one of the reasons we have the largest nonprofit per capita in the area, right? It's just whole bunch of artsy folks that used to be funded by, by uh, cannabis money that had the, had the spare time and creativity to go and, and do something artsy and creative and make a nonprofit out of it. That, that's what it was for. That, that is why the Inc. people exist. So, of course, all of these organizations are attached to it. Um, but that is enough for Roy to believe that there's a conspiracy through the ink people to promote an anarchist. And I say this in the 1900 to the 1920s definition of anarchist, like subversive, violent element, uh, agenda into city politics. That, that is, I believe is his case. Now, it tells me that Roy doesn't know very much about anarchism <laughs> or how these nonprofits function. But if, but if he did, we wouldn't have had this conflict in the first place because he would understand that those liquor licenses were a community resource and not for him to monopolize. <laughs> so from there, he gets involved in all sorts of other things. Fun fact: he's opposed. He, he's in the uh, uh, opposition or in the pro housing for all camp. We'll still get to that. The big feature feat. Piece. And he's running for district three. Oh yeah, I heard. Right? I heard he has just uh, announced that run as well. So he lists on his political organization's website. Um, he lists one of. He lists. In his, in his values, 
capitalism, which tells me that he doesn't understand values or capitalism, right? Capitalism is a value. It's not, it, 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 it doesn't meet the qualifications of what that word means. It is an economic system with value adds and value, value negatives based on your worldview. But that, that's what values are as a worldview. So I guess his worldview is capitalism. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's neither here. Nor. I mean, he's that is one of the components of this. So that that, as I understand it, is how that that trail of breadcrumbs and idea forming came about. I'm not Roy. I can't speak to his state of mind. This is this is what I have tracked through through watching what he has said publicly uh, on social media privately to other people I know and people reaching out to me about like, Hey, what the fuck is going on here? Um, but you know, that's not what anarchism is. So the, uh, he's in my opinion, he is using, he a buzzword that he doesn't understand well as a buzzword to attack people that he thinks have conspired against him. And that's ego-based grievance politics. And as far as I'm concerned, that's, that discounts you from having your hands on the mechanisms of government. It disqualifies you from having the temperament needed to make real decisions about how my goddamn tax money is spent. <laughs> so that's, that's where I'm at on that. Uh, like, it, it's baffling. Like, but hey. At the very least, I love to see people get involved in local government and local municipal issues, even if their level of involvement and their their impact is questionable. Anarchism is just one of those words and ideas that gets thrown out there and people have come across it in probably a negative connotation. You know, you think anarchism... And you think defund the police, you think. It's not even, not even that level of anarchy. I mean. But that's what a lot of. Sure, sure. The argument that I think Roy is taking is, I mean, some of the stuff that Humboldt Grassroots has come out with, and I'm not sure how closely tied the Ink Center is to these posts. A lot of it is defund the police. We need to abolish the police entirely. We need to form a, you know, civic form of overwatch, almost like a neighborhood watch thing. A lot of it can get a little more dicey. Again, you have artists who are, you know, kind of just buck wild, so you have to take some of it with a grain of salt, I think. But you hear anarchism and you think anarchy, you think destruction of society, you think we're all going to burn down the system so we can rebuild it. Um, Maybe. And that is a lot of how it's been painted. That's what I'm getting at. Because the people who threaten it have control of how things get painted. Uh, the, the people who don't like, who, who, who don't like the, uh, breakdown of systemic controls. Um, what we're essentially talking about is empowering local governments that, that, that really, like if, if we're just talking about, about at a political science level, it is empowering local governments to make decisions about things that affect them and their constituents. The, the, the people who are impacted by a decision should be the people who make the decision. 
right? And as things go larger and larger, that that is the the thing to make true. The government exists to defend the common from the predations of the wealthy. There's another core tenet, uh, or or the tenet, or, or of the powerful, depending on on your. There's so many different schools. And I tapped the mic. All that's unusable now. Uh, no. <laughs> but all all the different schools of of like. What exactly it means, because we're talking about a, a political philosophy, not a political platform, right? Again, we're not talking about uh, like about how that actually plays out on a local ordinance. We're talking about the values criteria for how the person making the decision on that ordinance makes their decision. And I wonder how, how many people that are proponents of anarchism truly understand it. Just like I have that same feeling about people who don't know anything about anarchism and just have preconceptions. The same. I mean, but but that's true about capitalism, conservatism, liberalism, neoliberalism. You have these people that you can just get attached to an idea. Rabbit hole. Like, are you a tanky or not? Like all, all the, all the different shades and flavors and sub tribalism and whatever. It's all, it's all, it's all roundabout a philosophy, you know, all, but you know, all the different factions of Christianity and sects of Islam. And and that's the other thing is everyone has their own interpretation of what it actually is. So you could have five, people say oh i'm an anarchist and have five completely different interpretations of what that means it's very likely under anarchy yes (laughs) i had a guest on because who are you to tell me what my anarchy means fuck you and your king i don't know enough about (laughs) anarchism i had a guest on who gave me or who let me borrow a book the anarchist handbook i think is what it's called by michael malice i'm um, okay. I think I know the one you're talking about. I'm working now. through that. It's taken me a little while. I got to apologize to him because he gave it to me a while ago when he was on the podcast and I'm still working through it. But I mean, how many people are taking the time to read something about something that they're either in agreement with or in opposition to Again, as opposed to just signing on? So, yep. This is my identity. We're back to the nine to five hamster wheels and P to people reading past headlines and social media posts. And like, that's. That is the problem that we always run into in our culture. How like these, we have empowered the average citizen to have a voice in decisions about complex topics. And then we have disempowered the average citizen from forming an educated opinion about complex topics, both through our disincentivization of critical thinking in our, in our, uh, you know, education and just culture. Every aspect. And just soaking up every every available hour by making that by balancing the economy in such a way that the cost of living versus wage equals all of your time. Well, not even that, but who wants spent. to read about the these ideas and these issues when you can just scroll funny videos on TikTok? It's not mm-hmm. even just oh, I have to work all the time. It's yeah. what do I want to fill my extra time with? Yeah, that's true. I mean, or, I mean, not even just scrolling, just like time with my family, (laughs) right? Dinner. That's a healthier way to spend your time. (laughs) Right, right. Time with your family ranks higher than time on TikTok. Doing crack at the trap house. I don't fucking know, but certainly. That might even be better than TikTok. Who knows? (laughs) I came across this whole thing a while ago. I had, it was back when 
there was a lot of talk around the Eureka City Council rescinding the Code of Ethics and what that might imply and if it was shady mm. and what was going on. And I had Ash Teeter on from the Lost Coast Populist and we talked about it and it just kind of seemed like it fell flat. It was just a perception issue of, oh, they're rescinding something called the Code of Ethics, but there's not really anything there and it's that not really being applied. There was no there there. It's, yeah. Right? It, it's all the words used to describe the action were like, whoa. But when you actually see the impact of the action, it's like, well, well what is this actually doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, if I remember right, it was like then defaulting to a different code of ethics that didn't have some of the like conflicts. I think it was and a handbook that, that they, they were going to use instead, but they yeah. weren't even using the code of ethics that had been paused or placed on the background. It was yeah. some convoluted thing, but it didn't actually remove any power from the council. Well, it changed some voting thing for the mayor or something, but maybe. And as I understand it, it was, um, it was a problematic code of ethics adopted by previous councils, um, that just had some wording into it, in it that was, was conflicting. And, and again, it's but not that's something one of those things you hear it like, and you're like, Oh, this might be something. Sensational uh, headline, boring details. I mean, that's the, <laughs> That's ninety percent of everything. Because we have to have it's an attention economy. We have to have an attention grabbing headline, right? Billionaire banker plants spike in housing element. We'll get there. Let's get there Perhaps. now. Talk about uh, it. Okay, let's do it. That was a good segue. Once upon a time, there was a parking lot. <laughs> Several parking lots. In point of fact, like twenty-one or twenty-seven parking lots. Um, city-owned parking lots in uh, Old Town, downtown Eureka. They've been parking lots forever. They, um, the city tried to monetize them uh, several different ways. We've had no luck. Um, but it is, it is free parking in Old Town. Uh, they are thoroughly underutilized, like 40% to 60% capacity on, on, on any kind of regular basis and unfilled even at peak. Like the only times I've ever, I've ever gone to Old Town and, and had, had trouble finding parking is like, Fourth of July, <laughs> right? Like events, things like that. Um, farmer's market, it, it gets tight. But um, so the city is looking for other ways to do that. And to do that, it's uh, going to lease them out to housing developers to create infill housing in the Old Town District. Creates foot traffic, um, mixed use residential commercial. We've seen a couple of them with like the lower level retail shops, uh, upstairs um, apartments, things like that. Um, that is the plan for these parking lots. There are several people who don't like that. <laughs> um, one of them owns Security National Bank, billionaire by the name of Rob Arkley. You might have recognized him in the news uh, with some Supreme Court shenanigans. Um, same fellow. Uh, run security national bank. Um, and there's a few, there's several other businesses and, and folks that are part of the, I'll call it the business community instead of the wealthy elite for right now. But, uh, that are also against these changes. They've been campaigning on that for a real long time. This is several city councils. This is years of, of development, public input, committee, committee meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that, that have gone into these decisions. 
Um, at each phase, there have been court challenges by this group of people. There have um, John Fullerton, the the agent of record on the committee to propose the 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 committee to propose the housing for all in downtown initiative for Eureka, sponsored by Security National Bank. That last bit is important because they expect 80% or more of their funding to come from Security National Bank, so they're legally required to put sponsored by Security National Bank. But meanwhile, that housing for all thing, they can stick in there because of the way they've structured this initiative. And we'll talk a little bit more about it as we get through. So um, this has been fought. Fullerton made it, uh, he's campaigned for city council over and over and over, made it his base, basically his only major platform plank is like, we got to keep these parking lots and he keeps losing. Um, every, every challenge, every opportunity for the public to weigh in has, has not gone in their favor. So what next? So they've put together an initiative, um, that, just like the other one we talked about had had zero public input zero zero stake but this one was not i believe with genuine intent so in order to be able to call it a housing for all initiative it has to address housing in some aspect that's just the way the rules are in in like your title because because the california elections office knows that people don't read past the title um so to be able to title it something, you have to actually be able to address that thing. So here's w- what they've done. The impact of this thing, I'll, I'll skip to the last page. They have created an initiative that will guarantee that my child can never move out of my house. They, this thing will spike our housing element, our general plan, and our compliance with state law on housing for a decade or so like long drawn out legal challenges without a fix because it's an initiative. And was, as we talked about initiatives are permanent and cannot be fixed without somebody else dumping money into these campaigns to, to alter any of the language, unless it's written into the, into the, the initiative that this can be changed by, by the supervisors in these ways or something like that does not include that. So they have crafted a housing for all initiative that by putting in requirements and uh, restrictions in to house our housing plan invalidates it (laughs) and, and thus means that parking lot will never not be a parking lot. So, so that's the, that's the framework. That's the arc. Here's the nitty gritty, uh, the way it's constructed. So it creates an overlay onto our housing element, the house. Let's start at what the hell is a housing element? A housing element is a part of a general plan that creates, uh, a long-term plan for housing development and shows the state that we actually have the resources to carry out this plan. That's the basics. Um, it, it is required to be in compliance with both our own general, general plan and with state mandates in order to get uh, housing grants and, and funding for any of the, the state programs that, that require it. Like that, it has to be in compliance. Currently it is. Has, um, 
this this overlay system combines with the fact that they have just struck the numbers out of our housing plan. This initiative specifically deletes the numbers that are our goals from the housing plan, does not replace them with new numbers or goals, and cannot be changed except by initiative. It deletes those numbers by removal of the parking lot. Being just, no, no, it, it, no. It specifically goes in and in our housing plan where it has those numbers, it just deletes them out of the sentence. It just strikes them out. Um, I, I essentially like, um, the, the city, uh, will plan to, uh, to create, uh, housing in this district that will accommodate X number of units has been altered to be the the city plans to create housing in this district period no numbers no plans no no actual like data in there and that is one of the things that that knocks it completely out of compliance with both our general plan and the the state's housing uh housing organization so the overlay that it creates is one size fits all. It must be a high, des- high density residential uh, uh, building, which we have no zone for. We have no, no metrics as to what is high density that must be built over a ground level parking structure that retains the number of parking units that the parking lot did. So, so that seems like an interesting idea. Oh, we retain parking. We keep the parking in the parking. Okay. But first parking problems in old town are an inflated problem. There's only a small group of people who are, who are clamoring about it. And it's the people behind this initiative. Second, we get earthquakes, right? <laughs> like a couple of fours a year. Like, no, every so often we get a big rumbler, but the ground here shakes, right? A lot. We've got right off the coast and always off the Petroleum, Fortuna, and Whitethorn, right over there. Every couple, every couple of months, we get, we get a three, right? Fours every once in a while. I think uh, when I, um, uh, in a landmark occasion for, for my relationship with my wife, we had like that big six, like seven-ish one, like that big one. We get that. That happens here. So a ground level parking structure is called a soft bellied structure in construction because an open parking lot provides no support for earthquake protection. And you couldn't, it collapses. You couldn't build pillars throughout. You sure can. But then, but now we're about to talk about affordable housing. (laughs) Because you sure can. There are earthquake proofing techniques and they are expensive and they are expensive to maintain and they, they inflate the cost of a project a lot. Here's the thing. Our housing plan has affordability strata group like based on the medium income of of households in california from or of in humboldt county specifically not california in humboldt from the very low to moderate uh, upper moderate um there there are there's a range and that range of income 
calculates what is considered affordable when it comes to apportioning housing grants and and other other state money and if you are going to create a building with that level of earth proofing earthquake proofing you are also no longer able to recoup your investment and still fall charge in that range of what is considered affordable housing so now so once again our housing plan gets spiked because now our ranges for the housing planning we're accommodating for cannot be met right because the the price per unit to recoup an investment for a developer even on land, by the way, that they are leasing, not buying from the city. So the city generates income on, uh, on these leases and should. Um, even at the generous rate the city would give, the, the cost for that construction means that your amortization over time, the amount, that, that the amount of time that you have to pay back your investors, to pay back your contractors, to make a profit, and maybe to sell the building, depending on what your exit strategy and development plan is. Um, what all that is, like, puts you outside of the bracket to be eligible for the city to give you those breaks, puts you outside of the... I mean, really outside of the rental market, unless we want housing prices to go up. And boy, who's a great idea for the, who, whose idea for greatness is constantly creeping gentrification? Maybe that's fine for bankers. Um, meanwhile, and I'll, I'll take a look at, at so we can delve into some of the numbers. So the city did, uh, did a study on the impacts of this. They found out it's going to cost millions in construction jobs. Right. These are these are now like all of our uh, union jobs, all of our trades, trades builder jobs, like there's a thousand of them on projects that are already in play on things that are already moving, have have grants attached to them that already have plans. There's a thousand jobs of that would be wiped away by this initiative because those are no longer no longer viable plans. It makes a carve out. Makes a carve out for the Weot tribes uh, development plan. They've 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 got one of them in the works, and, and they did this because he, they really just wanted the tribes to stay out of it. But the, the tribes have already come out and said this is bullshit um, because Arkley has a history has a history with uh, with the local tribes. I don't know if you know anything about Massacre Island, but um, <laughs> the Tulawat Island. Uh, Oh, a fascinating diversion, but, but we'll, we can, we we'll can circle, circle back, back to, to that one. Yeah, because I want to hear that. <laughs> um, another land use issue. Really quick, just for the tribe Eureka. though, it's, the tribe's going to be building? The Weot tribe has a development in, uh, in planning that is housing and transit related. I think it's also got some, some light retail. Um, and that and that plan is very far through the works, right? It, it's it's through the development phase. It's it's getting stamps as we speak. So these plans are already in progress for yes. most of these. Okay. Yes. Um, so that's that's just for the six that that are already in progress. That's those thousand jobs, um, and that's like one point six million in revenue at this point. I'm gonna get my 
handy dandy pocket supercomputer. And I'm going to pull out my document here that actually has that staff report. So I have the real numbers. So, uh, okay. So one-time construction related output based on just the six, the six of lots that are already, already in development would be 169.8 million in one-time construction related output. So the, what we wouldn't get by building those buildings is about 170 million. If, uh, if that gets expanded, oh, and the loss of 7.2 million per year in retail spending, if there was housing there, right, um, uh, from new residents living in the downtown. Uh, so the other 15 parking lots, if those were also developed, that would be 566 million in one-time related output. These, this is this is not money to the city. This is money to the citizens. This is money money to carpenters and pipe layers and operators and and like these are union jobs, trades jobs. These, these are these are like your blue-collar workers that are getting screwed out of 566 million collectively throughout the town. Uh, 240 million <clears throat> per year retail spending from the county on news residents living downtown. Again, this is this is the broader impact. If all of those, if the intent of the city was to develop all of those lots in this same way, and it were diverted by this initiative, that would be the impact. And how many lots are we talking about right now? I would say 21. 21. Um, and these 20, are, 21 total parking lots. 21, and these are all located downtown. Um, specifically in the old town district. Old town. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's an overlay. Of, um, I mean, I guess I can share them out, but they're scattered around. Like they're, they're very fragmented and some of them are too small to build housing on. 21, but located in old town. Yes. And yes, there's development the plans for all 21. No, there's development currently development plans, uh, are available and, and, and out there for six of them. Six. With plans to further that into the others? They are available to be developed by others. Some of them are. The, one, the ones, I mean, there's some that are like just little tiny dog legs that, I mean, that's probably going to stay. Parking. Wouldn't make much sense. To build right, one. right. Or if you're going to build something, I don't know, like put a burger, burger shack or in there or something. Yeah, a little, little, some, some little retail thing or, you know. Um, but, but, but most importantly, city infill, not sprawl. Like we, we want build businesses to, to go where businesses already are. We want job centers to get job centerier. We don't need to build other job centers. Okay. So back to the, back to the initiative. So, um, the other things this thing does, that's the spike that it puts into it on the rental overlay and the, uh, the, the building mechanics, as well as striking the numbers out of our plan. That enough would already make it. So for 10 years, our housing plan is bunk and we get no housing funding. We're, we're screwed. Puts a spike in the wheels, but they go on <laughs> furthermore, uh, the, the initiative imposes on the Jacobs school site. We'll get there. Uh, a high density residential overlay doesn't exist to for 40% of the site. And then a laundry list of uses, uh, industrial 
commercial uses that are allowed by right. That is without citizen oversight, without community anything, community input. So that's, that is why it is housing for all because they have created a theoretical mechanism by which housing will be increased by imposing a zone that doesn't exist on a site that at the time of writing the initiative, we'll get there, uh, was not available for zoning. So this is a school site, state agencies, other municipal agencies, not not don't don't have to follow zoning regulations they do what they want with their land the at the time of the initiatives writing and getting signatures we'll get there uh the the school site um has been decommissioned it's not a school um it was in talks it the city had uh talks had broken down to buy it a couple years back they just couldn't meet the price point um, they were in talks with the California Highway Patrol to uh, put a, I believe, a training center or some sort of administrative center there, um, which was largely backed by the community and the neighbors there. And well, well uh, fine. Uh, but again, a state agency, not under zoning regulations. They do what they want with their land. So... As it was written, when it was written, it added zero housing. <laughs> and we all caught that. Um, the, community, the community, so, so when it was presented, uh, got, got its signatures, uh, you know, plucky young folks going door to door, some of whom I may or may not have yelled at on the sidewalk, get off my lawn, you dirty fucks, like bastards. Um, at the end of that, uh, they, got, they got enough signatures. Um, but it wasn't doing well because, because of these poison pills, because of all these obvious problems. Um, so that's about the time that, that I started, that I got personally involved and was rabble rousing and, and, um, uh, an open letter was put out by, uh, um, I think it started with Susan Seaman and quickly got on with Tom Wheeler and the, um, environmental crowd and the housing authority crowd and the transportation crowd. And, um, a lot of a lot of very active people snowballed into like a three hundred person open letter uh, signatories on the on this open letter sign, uh, citizens from Eureka and around here, um, and that has become the campaign against this housing measure, right? So very grassroots, very like organically created, sort of just like catching up and balling up and getting all these people in a room talking to each other and actually like generating resources and information and what we can do about this. I mean, to get, to get people to vote, no, because it's a long nuanced issue. We have to start way early, which is part of why the, uh, the committee, sorry, the, uh, the folks behind housing for all sued to try and make the city get a special ballot for the March primary election. City, the city doesn't have any election, any primary election coming up. They wouldn't normally have a ballot. When you put a ballot initiative out, it goes on the next normally scheduled election ballot. 
They wanted to be special snowflakes and get it in on March because it takes a long time for people to soak in these nuanced issues. And there's other planning things that are that are going on uh, and, and moving forward that are going to create even more conflicts uh, as things go on because these projects are getting farther along. Other developments may get, may get approved in, say, April <laughs> between between the primary ballot and uh, and election time. And, and so the earlier they could get this on the ballot, the sooner they could they could, you know, catch it before people, you know, may you be in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. Uh, may you get your initiative passed before the voters have a chance to read it. Um, that whole thing. Uh, so from there, opposition begins. All of these problems become, uh, I mean, not well known, but loudly proclaimed by myself and others. Um, the folks behind this are employing um, a couple of different consultant groups, one of which is out, out of San Diego, uh, one of which I think is out of Vermont or New Hampshire. Um, but the they're they're putting together some pr- fairly sophisticated focus testing and things 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 you do things you do for much larger campaigns than this, <laughs> right? Te- texting surveys to to large large groups of voters, things like that. Like you know um, they paid their canvassers, all that like things that you do for stuff that is way higher stakes than this, which is part of the mind blowing part of this whole thing. It's just like the vast amount of resources that has been spent on such petty bullshit, but we'll get there. So through this rather sophisticated focus testing, um, of which I have screenshots of the questions, which is always good, fairly interesting. Like I know what you're interested in knowing a lot of, most of their questions, uh, also uh, whether like, whether do you support this? Do you, do you not support this? Do you believe it when we say it? Like it, that was included in a lot of the questions. Do you actually believe this? Did you, did you buy this lie? Um, uh, but the problem with the Jacob school site in their focus testing was almost certainly identified as, as the single giant house fire in the middle of their mount match factory. Um, and so they had no option but to take action. Now let's talk about shady land swaps. <laughs> All right. So the next act of, of, of this play, um, because Jacoby site was not actually subject to the provisions they put in their initiative, nobody was buying it. So if that got sold to CHP, it would be a similar problem. But if it's under private ownership and is actually, it's actually possible that it could maybe be negotiated to meet some portion of enough of the housing plan, then maybe it's still a go. So now we're down to school board elections. We're down to like, who the fuck pays attention to the school board election? <laughs> uh, but the school board holds trust on these lands. The school board controls what is done with these lands. So there, because the the school site was listed as surplus, it's extra land they hold. There's a process they have to go through to like offer it to state and other municipal agencies um, uh, before they can be considered for sale. But sale is not the same thing as a land swap 
the school board can land swap anything they want at any time they want for any reason they want with almost no public oversight. And by almost no, I mean two days before your school board meeting agenda is posted. An LLC can be formed with $6 million and one shitty bungalow in its portfolio to then have Fred Van Vleek, the superintendent, propose in a closed-door meeting to the school board a $6 million plus one shitty bungalow land swap that you can then take to the voters as fiat accompli. You get to the school board meeting, or you get to the meeting after the closed meeting, post a copy of the agreement, lay it out for the voters, and then vote unanimously on it with three minutes of public comment. The thing you, you can do, do with money. You could do that. Which again, just the stunning amount of resources spent on something so fucking petty as keeping your goddamn parking lot. But okay, so, <laughs> so I mean, it's not like they get a paid parking lot. Now, this is a money generator for anybody. Anyway, so that LLC, um, the, the, we, the way LLC laws are, there's, it's going to be a long time before any, any actual like person who's involved with that will have to be made public. Here are things that would not shock me. A loan to some combination of people in the orbit of Rob Arkley, John Fullerton, uh, Michelle Constantine, um, Michael, oh, I forget, uh, Michael Mullen, um, the authors and folks behind this, some combination of folks in their orbit getting a loan for $6 million plus one shitty bungalow that they paid double for, uh, which I think was probably to get over a threshold in the, in the land swap limits. Uh, it's given a, given a loan by Security National Bank <laughs> to create a shady LLC two days before a school board meeting to slide in a land swap without public oversight to make their lie more true. And so by being under private ownership, it's now theoretically in play. Now it is subject to zoning regulations and theoretically in play, but not actually because the zoning reg regulations that it's subjected to don't fucking exist. It's <laughs> high, high density zone. Like there's the, the, the zoning, the, the zoning uh, designation is not a zoning de designation. It, it like it, we would have to have a whole new designation written up, which is not a slow, which is not a quick process to define what is high density residential and, and what, what limits are placed on it. How, how tall can it be? How, how much can it fuck the neighbor's view shed? Like what, what, what can it do? Um, 
And again, like, none of that's going to be done in time for my 10-year-old child to apply to College of the Redwoods or HSU or, you know, maybe get a scholarship somewhere nice. Um, not that these aren't nice. Um, and, and move out of the goddamn house, but live close enough that I can visit him, right? He, he can't, he, you know, go, go live next to his job at the, at the whatever store in, in downtown Old Town or the foundry down there. Like, this is our whole housing market for the whole city, not just these two sites, spiked for 10 years. And like, that's my, that's my projection at the least. There's not, there's not like a time limit. Like, and after 10 years, you're fine. So what happens in the meantime with our housing? Builder's remedy and buy right. All of which are done without public oversight, right? That's what happens when two government entities are in, the, are, are in conflict with themselves over a piece of land you own, you get builder's remedy, which means I can do what the fuck I want. Within some, and, and there are housing restrictions, are, are housing requirements built in there, like 20%. But of the 8.3 acres on the Jacob School site, 40%, 20%, neither of these offset the housing plans that would come out there in, in Old Town nor do they have like the other uh, infrastructure and public services available in that neighborhood to, to support that influx. Like we don't have the public transit facilities there. We don't like, there's not, there's, it's far enough away that uh, from things like Winco, uh, other grocery stores, things like that, you know, food sources, gas sources, other things that when you create a large, dense residential structure, you have to have to make uh, make adjustments to infrastructure planning. What are, you know, traffic planning? Do we have to have stop signs at all these streets now that they're going to become more busy with with it? Do we have to widen any streets? Do we, you know, these are things that go into urban planning. All these, all those, all those details that are so boring that you have to pay somebody to give a shit. <laughs> with these units, what are, are we talking? Single family units, two bedroom, one baths, studio not, apartments. Um, the that's not. Defined about- in the initiative, but um, high high density residential probably means uh, multi person, um, at least multi family residents. So so we're talking block apartments, basically what we're, what we're talking. What about for the plans that are currently in place for our Old Town? The current plans in place, like the Link Center and the uh, the the Weots project, um, those are uh, mixed use, uh, multifamily. Like it's still it's still a block housing, but it also has like a transit hub on the first floor or um, strips of of, res- of uh, commercial uh, things. So you know, there's there's also an economic component that's not just housing to it. Um, but mixed use, like really, cause that, that's really both the state's mandated goals to encourage, uh, localities to develop, but also our own stated goals as Eurekans is, is infill in those areas, make, make, make the places more of what they are. Right, we want our commercial districts to 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 have more commerce in them. We don't want that to spread out, right? We don't want sprawl. We want centers, right? Transit centers, commercial centers, 
um, and, and we can we can create some as we go as they're needed, right? If Old Town was chock full, then absolutely do something with the Jacob site. In fact, now that it's under private ownership, do something with the Jacob site now, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. And one of them definitely doesn't have to light our entire decades worth of ability to get housing funding on fire. Like we don't, we don't have to light that up. We don't have to burn that whole thing down in order to also get some other housing. Right. But, but what is the, what does the housing look like? So multifamily for those six in plan development, how, how many units are we talking? <coughs> um, so I believe, so just, so some of them are, aren't planned that far ahead, like to, to get down to the nitty gritty units, some of them are just like in talks with developers. So, but the, uh, I believe there's like, um, between 30 and 40 people that are planned at the WIOT center that could be housed, um, like in those units, um, depending on, on family size and density, uh, uh, but between 50 and a hundred people at most of these places. Um, so potentially we're talking maybe five, 600 potentially across all six. Yeah, something like that. I mean, because there's also limits on how tall the buildings are, are able to get and, and other, other limits, you know, how, how, how big different facilities and ADA accommodations and hallways and things like that have to be like, I, I'd have to know a lot more, a lot more civil engineering to give a solid number in there. But yeah, in the, in the like 500 to 500 range, I think, I think is reasonable to assume. You said earlier that parking is currently artificially inflated down there, but if you introduce that many people, then you are going to have a significant parking problem, especially if you are removing parking lots in place of these places. If we remove six out of 15 parking lots, that makes the other parking lots more useful. Yeah, but the, you're introdu you're not just removing the parking lot, you're introducing hundreds of more people you're on not wrong. top of that. You're not wrong. Um, but these are also people that are... Uh, so... We're so there's no reason that there would be no parking built into these places. But what does that look like if it's not in a base level parking structure? You have a little carve out on one side, depending on depending on the side of the lot. You have you have a little roof covered garage. The you know one lane of parking on one side, and then the side, the building on the other side of the lot. But you wouldn't be able to accommodate enough for the people living there with those structures. If you only have eight to eight to 10 units. Yeah. Eight to 10 parking spaces out of, out of something that currently has 20 to 50 parking spaces. Yeah. And still build a building there. But what if no problem? What if you're needing to park 50 cars for those 50 people? Each of there's not, there's not a world where, so we're also, we're talking like, I'm, t I'm also talking about children. I'm talking about family units. Like, uh, there's not going to be 50 individual units there. Right. If we're talking a one to two car family on a 10, 10 car unit or a, 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 a 10 apartment housing block, then eight to 15 cars. So that's not, that's not unreasonable when the lot you're building on used to have 30, 40, 40 lots. Now keep in mind, like these are lots that are so unused that they couldn't pay for themselves. They couldn't pay for the maintenance on the parking meters. They're, they, all those parking meters are shut down. 
because the amount that was made by people parking there was not worth going and collecting the money. <laughs> we weren't making enough money to make the money, right? That's the parking is parking in those lots is so empty <laughs> that, that that is like could not even pay for the parking meters to get, to get emptied. Are those side street parkings or these alternative parking sites? These are, um, are those in plan or the, these are just theoretical that they could build if they felt. I mean, I don't know what necessary. you can show to your viewers, but here, let me, I've got, I've got a map here. Um, like, uh, this is in the report, you know, it's, it's a, it's a top down area map, but you can see like kind of what they are and where they're spread out. That's the staff report, uh, that that's included in. Um, I mean, these are like, it's it, the, uh, behind Lost Coast Brewery, um, that, that large parking lot is, is, is one of, I believe one of them that's lit, that's listed for, uh, development, um, and also indicative of kind of the size we're talking about, right? So it's, it'd be real easy to put 10 parking lots and a five story, four story apartment apartment but are they talking there. about doing the parking yeah. lots they are but oh, well are, i mean like, yeah the, like they're in the plans this is something that they're concretely going to add if they build out these apartments or this uh, is an after it's effect. not it's not a requirement it is something that a wise developer does if they wanted to right it's not it's not that it, it it's not listed in any ordinance or any zoning thing that you, or anything but this initiative that you absolutely must dedicate a whole, the whole ground floor or X amount of square footage or X number of parking lots, or even just like, it really doesn't even, even say you have to offset it. Right. Which is, you know, I mean, how much, go, how much government oversight do you need? If like, like, here's what you do with your land, but you have to put parking lots on it. Um, yeah, but land developers aren't, no, aren't n notorious for doing the right thing the first time. No, and you're not wrong, but they are notorious for attempting to get profit margins and off street parking is a, a great big fat, uh, bonus on like ha having off street parking is a desirable thing to fill up your units. Not if you believe that the walkability is, doesn't require that. And that you would be better off not investing. Okay. So here's the thing with walkability. Walkability nearby. Sure. But we live in a rural environment. Uh, we're, we're not, there, there is no scenario living where we are, where you're not going to need access to some form of, of transportation that gets you 15 miles away from your home and not on a bus route. So, so there is the, the predication that like some of that has to be in there. And if a developer doesn't have off street parking, well, everybody knows how, how, what a pain in the ass it is to live in somewhere without off street parking. But it, uh, at the end of the day, it's a convenience. It's not a right. The one that they built down there, um, on 101, they finished it a while ago. Is there parking for that off street parking? I'm not sure exactly which I'm one trying I'm to think about. it's the one down um there was one that was kind of kind of a, like I don't a, know if it's a, a veteran's a cigar one box shape. or not a oh, veteran specific an old folks home am I I'm trying oh, to think of know. where it is it's on 101 going down 
There's a couple of those cannabis. I don't think they're dispensaries, maybe manufacturing plants down there. Okay. I'm trying to think. Of, I can't think of anything that's down there. It's past like the the new IHOP that's down there. It's on the other one way. I can't think of what it is, no. but I don't believe that they built any off street parking for that one. Um, they finished it a while ago. Um, and there was one that's off, uh, like way down on Myrtle Avenue that, that somebody developed their land and didn't put any parking in. And, um, so it's not, yeah, it does happen. Unrealistic given the track record that they might not build any off street parking. No, it, it absolutely could happen. And once again, we, we do still have, like, again, we're talking about six out of 21 parking, parking lots that are currently basically unused but that's the key so point if is that currently basically unused yeah. at current levels yes we're yeah, not talking true. about just altering it and not bringing more people in we're bringing a substantial amount of people in true. and removing the unused parking lots not all of the unused but parking six lots. like yeah uh we're, we're, yeah we're reapportioning some of that parking that is unused into some housing like we're, we're, we're dialing the sliders. It's not all of those, right? It's, it, it's not removing parking from the area. But theoretically you would be increasing parking demands, not just on top of who is living there and yeah. they need to park their car. But also if you're doing mixed use and you have businesses, people are going to be traveling to these businesses mm -hmm. and you need somewhere to park. Yeah. The, the, There's, there is a balance to be struck, but, it, but once again, we're at 40% saturation currently like over the course of over a six-year study like six years of observation 40 percent full right over over all all of those lots right so if we take a bunch of them that are barely full at all cut them out of the mix and, and and fill others then we're once again we're efficiently using other city land while lowering our housing rates like because at the end of the day like we absolutely need housing 100 percent, there is no question about that but between homelessness housing affordability wage income gap all of the things for which housing is a key component and variable all, it absolutely has to come down what Even, are the breakdowns on pricing for these do they have projections for that indeed um oh actual like per unit rates. Yeah. Um, so when we say affordable housing, no. what are we talking? They don't but have I, any. But I can give you the like, uh, I mean, we're not talking about like section eight housing, table. are we? No, no, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking about like working class level incomes. I mean, this is, this is our nursing, uh, uh, contingent. And right? there are, that, that's that, that's right around that, that wage. I'm guessing that there's some law that would be enforcing a, a, a rent cap for these units. No. So, so, so realistically these could the, be subject to the market price. So, okay. Well, oh, are we talking about in the initiative? No, I'm talking about current development. Currently, from the city. Yeah. Yes. There to, is a cap in, in place. There's not a cap in place. There's a string on some money to get funding for uh, to offset building costs it, basically to to make a public private partnership to develop this the the city and various public entities have access to grant funding federal funding state funding that has strings attached to it you have to pay a uh, fair wage on your construction you have you have to have ADA compliance but you no know, all, strings all attached for rental price per unit price that's where the that's where we get into the affordability cap you absolutely like it must 
conform with with several of the funding sources it must conform with uh affordability as per median income in the area um with within certain certain ranges so we're not going to be talking about out and out gentrification right we're not we're not going to be talking about like the san francisco problem some of some of those policies are are put into place um to to counteract the oakland san francisco problem um that that whole like oh let's just skyrocket all the rents and we're and and i will say that the city and county are also doing things uh, uh on housing prices like with their short-term rentals um things like that other things that have artificially inflated housing prices um but so there are some controls on how much you can charge and still be eligible for the money from these partnerships. And that's going to be a percentage of the median income in the area. And that, yeah, that's going to have to do, that's going to have to do with, do with our median income. A projection on what that will look like. Well, uh, I have a table right here that, uh, so. And I'm assuming with normally with these funding elements where it's split like that, there's a time cap on that. So after 30 years, these restrictions are no longer in place or after 20 years or 50, is that in play as well here? For the funding from the state or wherever they're getting that funding from normally or occasionally there is a restriction of you can't, you have, so you have to stick within the median price range that we're setting for X amount of time and then you can change it to whatever you want. Um... I've heard about that with, they build housing for old folks homes and the state will put up like 50% of the money yes. as long as you keep the price within X range for a yeah. few decades. Yeah. And you're talking about rent controls, basically like, like di different forms of rent yeah, controls. Yeah. Artificially and, and keeping fixing. the rent control in um, place for a certain amount yes, of time. Yes. I don't know that that's in play here. Um, I, I'm not positive because there's, there, there are different grant and funding sources uh, that it could come from. And I don't know necessarily which ones are in play that have or do not have those those restrictions um if you're drawing from a wide pool you just assume that all of the restrictions are play if right if you're if you're getting from a few sources that have lots of restrictions you have to assume you have to follow all these all the restrictions whereas you're if you're getting money from one source like say a bank that has no restrictions you do whatever the hell you want um, and the community can be damned. Um, I do have the, those numbers, by the way, as far as like, uh, so the, the assumption is that rent, I believe should be no more than 30% of household income. Um, the median income, uh, median household income in Eureka is $46,926 between 2017 and 2021. That's for a single person. 46, 926? Yeah. That, that's a single person uh, uh, household. Which comes out to 14,077. So it'd be like 11, 1200 bucks a month on the low end. Of, of your rent. Yeah. Of paying rent to get, to get to the, yeah. And that's, that's in our, like the, that that's is findable. Market. Yeah. That's findable here. Um, uh, so. Uh, for a four-person household, moderate income, hundred one hundred thousand five hundred and fifty a year. So that that's the range we're talking about in the in the median, um, and 
the the moderate income household uh, is is defined Which as twenty five. So it's comparable to the prices that yeah, we're seeing currently. That's and moderate income is between eighty and uh, one hundred and twenty percent of the median income. So that's where moderate is. So when we get into very low income, we're talking about people who make 30 to 50% of the area's median income, right? People are make low wage jobs, part-time workers. Well, with affordable workers. housing, it gets a little dicey because what, what well, is affordable? Affor affordable. So based on these categories, uh, very low income, low income, moderate income, above moderate income. Um, and then it just gets into, into dicier and dicier tax brackets. Um, the, 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 the housing element plan has to show how it's going to accommodate for growth in all of these categories, right? So, so we have to assume that there is going to be some growth in, in the moderate middle class. We have to assume that there is going to be growth in the very low income class, right? So we, we don't have that many rich people. We'd like to assume that maybe we can make some millionaires, but not if we screw up our cannabis industry or whatever. Um, so, but the element has to have the, the projections for how much we plan to grow, the uh, essentially showing that we have the resources, the available land and the, the plans available to grow to those numbers. And, and we don't <laughs> like in all of those categories, especially if we just strike the numbers out. Um, so, <clears throat> um, yeah, when we're talking about like the nitty gritty numbers and percentages, right. So that that's over the course of all this. And there are some other housing projects in place. There's, there's like the, um, uh, the Pearson land out by Winco is, has some housing, uh, coming up and there, there's other smaller things. Um, but, the the other thing is that the these in Old Town, I mean, Old Town is arguably the beating heart of Eureka. It is it is definitely like the the personality of Eureka, like the the look of it, the feel of it. Small shops, independent folks, you know, the small town folks going about their business, talking talking to people individually. Like we, it's not data centers, it's not call centers, it's not you know, commercial industrial stuff. It's, it's little shops. It's, it, it's small retail, mixed use, um, apartments over shops. The, the definition, like the, the make of it until 30 years ago, the whole plan of it was, was a very walkable city and that, that changed. Um, I don't, I wasn't here then I wasn't. And if I had been, I'd have been 14 and I'd have been out causing trouble. So who cares? But getting back to that ideal, like that idea of that, that small town walkability, that, that it's the neighborhood again, right? And, and We've getting got that a lot of work to get to that. I know a lot of people that live in Old Town and mm -hmm. are constantly plagued with problems stemming from the homeless population down there. Okay. Let's talk, let's talk about uh, homelessness and community safety. First off, more housing, fewer homeless people. People keep saying that, <laughs> and yet I haven't seen any track record to back that we've built oh, low income kind of yeah but we've built low income housing throughout the state mm -hmm. and ho the homeless problem has only gotten worse so if no it's you I would mean, say that it's levels, not worse today than 10 years ago levels i mean we could talk about what worse means levels of homelessness per capita 
haven't increased, we are still experiencing homelessness. But the other thing we have to look at is- Levels, uh, so there are not more people currently homeless than five or 10 years ago. Levels per capita, that's what you're talking about? 10 years ago, then we're starting to get into where some shit went down, right? That, that was when some changes started to get made. Um, so in 20, so in the housing market market, um, yeah, I mean, talking like 2008, well, first 2008 and then a second wave in 2014. Okay. What about, what about COVID post COVID? Well, that's kind of a bad one. Yeah. I mean, in, in the years of the asterisk, but it doesn't, um, so so even if you take that into COVID wrecked us for homelessness, uh, by the way, even if you take that into account though, it's still, nobody would say that the problem is getting better. And we, there has been a lot of focus on low-income housing and True. building it, and yet the problem has not seemed to improve. Part of that is because there is inflationary housing shortages being created. And I want to be specific. We're talking about the homeless so, population. I wouldn't argue that so, low-income housing helps the working class or everyday people, right. but the homeless population specifically, people yes. that are living on the street. Yes. Um, so when, uh, when we get to, so, so if we're looking at the whole of the housing market as a giant sponge soaking up all the people who need housing, right? Um, a chunk of that has some post holes cut in it that that stop it from absor- from absorbing what the what the sponge usually would absorb right we're talking about short term rental housing we're talking about speculative markets um house flipping that that keeps housing off of the market and so is unable to be in that general pool right which matriculates down to the very cheapest available housing we're talking about room shares we're talking about short short term housing we're talking about rent, uh, mother-in-law units and renting a couch right all of which i've done <laughs> that's just life um so transitioning from houselessness to that is a big step that we don't have the transitional infrastructure to get people into to get to that very lowest level of housing to where you're no longer in crisis housing mode and from there to spring into the larger housing pool right the barrier to entry from people to get from homelessness which happened somehow like people i shouldn't say people there's plenty of homeless homeless people born on the street every day but our, our, we have we have some focused social uh, instruments to make sure that people aren't like born and raised homeless. They they have known a home hopefully at some point of their life and then lost it or gave it away or or something or, happened or decided to travel the road like some of us weirdos. But uh, but f- so that that is a an event that came to be right not not. Uh, a native state of being, right? So once that happens, there are just a vast proportion of the time, various levels of trauma associated with that. I mean, you've, you've lost something that is important through probably a mechanism that was out of your control, 
and very often imposed upon you by someone who did not have your best interest at heart, right? There's a lot of ways to get homeless that aren't your fault and, and that were that in point of fact, you are the victim of something that made you homeless. So getting people the resources to get from there, from, from a traumatized resourceless state that not for nothing is also highly stigmatized and, and, and generally like people feel okay shitting on homeless people, right? Sometimes literally. Uh, so to get people from that to a stable position where they can maintain housing, that is its own Herculean effort that is, that requires a healthy, uh, housing market to get to, right? If we had the infrastructure to slide them into something and then had fucked our ability to create something to get them into more permanently, we would just be building up false hopes, building them a bridge to nowhere, and then pushing them off right back to where they started, uh, which is not the point. So, so th they are, there are multiple components to, to an issue as large as homelessness. Um, but a key component of that is having a healthy enough housing market that all of those tiers are served, including something where a kid just starting at, where in eight years, 10 years, less than 15 years, God willing, my son strikes out on his own and can get a shitty little apartment downtown, <laughs> right? Because those parts of the housing market have to exist as well as the luxury units with a spa involved, which also wouldn't be allowed by this initiative, by the way, because of the way the, the it, it puts everything together, the, uh, uh, it mixed use and commercial use, any of that is, is precluded by the zoning overlay that they put into Eureka because so I, there's no daycare in my apartment building. There's no, uh, there's definitely not a gym or a spa or a downtown or, or a downstairs coffee shop or anything else, but fucking parking because <laughs> that's all that's allowed. High residue, high density residential does not in, in any definition, because we haven't created it yet, have a commercial component to it. Otherwise, it would be high-density mixed use. <laughs> so they put high-density without mixed use intentionally. Well, they created something. They, they, they imposed a, a zoning overlay without defining it. They one said, that does not currently exist. One that doesn't currently exist, isn't defined, exists in other cities like San Diego where they hired their consultants. But certainly isn't our fucking housing plan. <laughs> so, yeah, they 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 created an imposition without a definition. Here is a rule, but we're not going to define the rule. But just to be clear, this the affordable housing that they're planning on building is intended to have no impact on the homeless community. Um. Well, okay. So again, affordable housing. Is not low and income. low income housing, not the same concept. Affordable just means that it is in line with the income levels that we see in Humboldt County. So high, moderate, affordable housing has its own number, you know, hundred thousand, which is not, not affordable for everybody, but it is affordable if you are in that income bracket, 
right? So that's what affordable means. It doesn't mean section eight. It doesn't mean trap houses. It doesn't mean a squire's slum, right? In point of fact, because it's city owned land and the, and the city leases to these developers, we are defended from a squire slumlord situation because if a slum develops, the city can just kick them the fuck out, right? Because they, they kick the property developer off and, and, you know, there's whole other, whole other mechanisms for that, right? So we have public oversight currently. And that, that to me is also the most important having and maintaining community and public oversight over some of these, over, over the, over the processes that create these issues. I don't care necessarily what color, I'm not a homeowners association. I don't care what color you're siding is. I don't care if your windows match your drapes. I care that you're not, you know, creating issues for the neighborhood that you're the, that you're not an eyesore, that you're not, you know, a, a trap house. Right. And if you are, I mean, let's get you some resources in there. Let's, uh, if only we had the ability to create a social service network down the street, but we can't because that overlay is high residential only, <laughs> high, uh, high density residential only. Um, yeah. So like limiting that availability. So we're not, we're not talking about the availability of very low income housing. We're talking about the availability of housing that, conforms with medium income levels in, in humble where i was going with that by bringing up the homeless was not necessarily in the direction of low-income housing but that <laughs> my interpretation of some of the proponents for building these housing developments mm -hmm. is they intentionally don't want parking to be included because they want downtown to be more walkable and yet they're neglecting the fact that you do have an element of homelessness down there that is keeping some portion of the population out or uncomfortable from walking around down there. And you have these two conflicting. You know where I always aspects. see the homeless folks? Where? Parking lot. I haven't seen any in your parking lot. <sighs> Every time I, I park. see them in the business stoops, I see them in the alleyways. When it's raining. Yeah, when it's raining. Well, yeah, alleyways. Alleyways. Other, other places that are, but like sit next to the building on the corner of the parking lot. You want to, you, you want to know when I was, when I was, when I was living a more criminal life than I currently live, you want to know where I, where I did a lot of crimes? Parking lots. Right? <laughs> I mean, you want to know where I didn't do a lot of crimes? Middle class housing units. Right. That's if, if we're talking about public safety, if we're talking about like panhandling, because no, at that point, we're not talking about homelessness because the majority, by the way, the majority of homeless population is not visible. The majority of them are going to a job and then sleeping in their car or going to work and then bouncing between family couches catching catching it where they can i mean we're talking about like the most destitute of homelessness of homeless folks are visibly homeless though those are the folks we talk about and and those those folks need a whole other level of of service right these are these are these are folks that are very highly likely to to be uh underserved by our mental health system Right. That, that is that. And certainly the ones that most people find the most nuisance, the, the, the people that bother the most people are the ones who, who chant strange things on the corner. 
right? Who may once in, in olden times have been the crazy wise man on the mountain are now uh, that, well, the, that I, dirty, dirty I don't know that I would equate but. the wise man on the mountain to I mean, some of that population. I, I mean, you do have, yes, these are the visible ones that we're talking about mm. who are in the worst situation. And yeah. that's why we can see them and we can point at them and say, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. But whatever portion of that population, and it's not an insignificant one that is an old town, there is a crime element and there is almost a public health element. I mean, I've seen homeless yeah. people take shits on the sidewalk, yeah, which is a real thing. And if you're trying mm -hmm. to improve Eureka and introduce this housing element and bring right. more people downtown, that is an element that has to be addressed. And it doesn't seem like anybody wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole. But having... Um, so having a more vibrant area, having a place with more foot traffic. The, those, no, but that's a chicken so, or the egg So thing. folks, folks, okay. So, so let's talk, let's talk about homeless folks and, and motivations. So been homeless, hung out with a lot of homeless folks, still love, know a lot of those homeless folks in the area. Um, make sure they get a, get an Amiga's burrito when I, when I get a chance. But, uh. By and large, the, the motivation of most folks that are homeless is to survive and not make waves, right? Now, third motivation often is to feed an addiction. That, that, that is a legitimate chunk of how somebody gets to be homeless or what happens when you become homeless right so if if we're talking about people who who are looking they are in they're in crisis mode there's not a whole lot of planning ahead you can do when you're homeless there's not there, there's not a lot of that like what, what we consider to be like the standard day-to-day -day routine of life again we're talking about the the visible homeless not, not the invisible multitudes that are sleeping in cars and, uh, and, and quietly going about their business. Um, but the folks that are destitute have a visible mental health issue or addiction issue, right? Cause that, that, and that is percentage wise, very small group of people, right? What we're talking about is maybe 30 to 40 people in old town, right? Because it's, it's the same set of people that, that keep causing these issues, right? They're, they're sort of a rotating crop and the homeless folks down there know them and they try to take care of them as much as they, much as they can because nobody else takes care of those people, right? Right. Homeless folks take care of themselves. When, when training right crank needs to find a public restroom, three runners go around because he can't walk that fast and he's a little drunk. And so somebody's going to walk into the closest bathroom. If they don't make it, that is just part of life when you don't have access to those facilities, right? So you shit on the corner and you are shamed and everybody involved feels like they failed you, right? But Karen on the corner only sees some unruly old drunk asshole taking a shit like, like it's his fault, right? She only relates it to her life. Oh, how could he? Bitch, you have a toilet right over there and a key to the door. Would you have offered it to him? Most of them will say no. 
So, I mean, what, what is the actual problem with that? Yeah, but that's it's not, not a the fair, housing market. That it's definitely not the housing market. I agree with you there. I think the need for intermediate housing before you get to low income housing is something that nobody focuses on that is desperately needed. Yeah, yeah, that, that you can just take income. these people and put them into low income housing and it's going to solve the problem is a pipe dream. They um, need help. It, it is, it is, it is a massive step to, toward addressing it. Just even getting, getting folks into tiny homes, like even just having a space that is safe and is their own and has basic hygiene facilities. Yeah. But if you can't get them stable on a help, whatever mental health issues they're suffering from or whatever addictions they're suffering from, just because they're in four walls doesn't change. It doesn't change anything. It really does though. Have you talked to John Shelter? Do you know who that is? Yeah. New Directions? Yeah. He's a big- he's Before one, and after I was homeless. I, 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 uh, I did a lot of work at the, um, uh, before it was New Directions, the place by the bus stop, uh, the Endeavor. Oh. Yeah. Long, long time ago. He's the one that turned me on to that intermediate housing. Mm -hmm. He's a big proponent, not low income, but something before that. Yeah. Transitional housing. It's often referred to well, as or like some kind of, of just, step into there. Yeah. yeah. Just taking like a wide open area on turning that into some encampment that you can yeah. help these people. Something, That's what I'm talking some, about. A, a space of your, yeah, it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't have to be walls, right? Which is why even tent encampments provide a level of springboard, which we keep clearing out. But just a space that is your own where you can have privacy, right? Something people don't think of a as a luxury until they don't have it. And you have access to facilities. I mean, access to basic hygiene, like that is huge. That is huge for public health. That's huge for just personal development. That's huge for employability right if somebody can shower can shit shower and shave every day they can go apply for jobs now they they don't have to wait until the swimming pool is open there is an element where some of these resources are available and just underutilized though correct underutilized or under under resourced right there there are some i mean like the um housing shelters raining shelters yeah they are they are absolutely stocked uh, but like the program that the supervisors just extended the other day, which is, um, like a, a funding source for nonprofit or government and, and entities to put some sort of safe, basically safe transitional housing, like, um, safe parking, safe, homeless parking areas, folks that live in their cars have a safe parking lot that they can go to little communities form that way. It's, it, it's kind of weird. Um, or, or something like that. Tiny homes, Betty Chin had the, had the trailer project that she was working on until somebody burnt that the fuck down. Um, uh, like there, there are, there are projects that are moving in that direction and it is, it is a mindset that's becoming more, more common sense, right? It's, it's, it's invaded the paradigm, um, which it should like, it's ha having those incremental steps and, but we've had them in society in some way, shape or form and along, you know, boarding houses, halfway houses, hostels, you know, th things that are cheap, sometimes temporary or intended to be short term. Like this is, um, Right. I just got divorced. I have to find something for six months until this all goes through and I can get another house or whatever. Um, ha having that model in your housing 
plan. Yeah, that is important, right? That's, um, the, that is part of addressing homelessness, right? I mean, cause it's a huge problem. Nothing's going to be solved by perfectly solved by a single move, right? There's no silver bullet. There's a wide range of issues that have to be individually addressed wisely and that interact with each other. Absolutely. If you were going to steel man the people on the side of the initiative, what do you think the argument would be? If I was to steel man them. Yeah. To, so if you were on their side and you were pushing their initiative, what would you have to say? Where do you think they're coming from? So preservationism is a key piece of it. But ultimately, I would have to fundamentally forget things I know about how parking, housing, and the, the, the market and land use work. <laughs> right? I, I would have to fundamentally forget things I learned on things like data analysis jobs for business foot traffic. It, it's perfectly reasonable for most people not to know that, right? There, there's not a lot of reasons that 90% of people are going to learn anything like that. So if I didn't know these things and only knew, let's call it intuitive assumptions, right? If I, if I didn't have time to do the research and, and had only what I thought all of this meant, I would think that I mean, some of it's very difficult because I just don't have that hard a time finding parking in, whole, in Old Town. But uh, thinking that that this is somehow taking something away from me personally and again, this has been such a long-running issue that it has become personal for several people on that side. And I would also have to either not understand or not give a shit about putting the, the housing plan in conflict with our own general plan and with state law. Or maybe I'm a son of a bitch. And maybe I first and foremost think that I can get some of these, this land on land swaps. Maybe I think that I can profit in some way by any of this. Um, and maybe my ego is just too big to let somebody else win. I mean, the, these are, these are the other, like, I try to be generous with my interpretations of people's motives, right? 
most people wake up in the morning and, and aspire to do good, to have a positive effect on their community. But 100% of people think about themselves first. And not all of that 100% make it all the way out to think about the effects it's having on other people. <laughs> right? So folks who have a business downtown and are worried about how far they have to walk to park and are convinced that the world is full of hoodlums lo looking to get them, which may or may not be true, um, or are worried about the sort of people that are going to move into these housing units, right? That, that's another, another thing that could become a, a, a consideration, right? Am I, am I the sort of person who, because we're not talking about a, a, a small effect here, right? We're, we're talking about years, maybe a decade, maybe more of conflict in our housing market, but maybe, okay. So one thing that's built uh, that is written in is that maybe I already own a bunch of housing uh, of land here and I don't want to have to go a bunch through a bunch of rigmarole when it's time for me to build on it. And maybe if those two elements are already at odds and builder's remedy is in place, not just for the areas involved, like the Jacobs site now, or other parts of Old Town, but for the entire city of Eureka, I mean, maybe I'm going to make a bunch of money and I don't give a fuck. Maybe. So do you think the issue is not just the loss of potential parking, but also setting up the chips to play some other move down the line? I think six million is a lot to lay out for a parking lot. But what about those other businesses Which that are in Old Town that There's are signing on to this initiative? There's a few. Um, none of them. Okay, so uh, there are a couple that have come out to speak in favor of it. None that have officially endorsed. There are a few business owners that are involved involved in the conversations, but the um, the the only public faces really are um, Mike Mullins, um, Michelle Constantine, uh, John Fullerton, and Security National Bank. Right. Th those are those are the folks on paper that that are definitively there now. The January filings have just gone through very soon. We're going to get to see who has actually uh, put money into this. We're going to find that out very soon. We don't have that yet. Um, the, the filing date for that was only last week. That hasn't been processed and made public yet. But soon we will find out who else. Who, who else believes in it enough to put their money with their mouth is. Right? Because all, all of the the arguments put out thus far that I've seen have been from people with a personal stake in old town 
commerce, right? In having, in having a business in Old Town, right? There's not, there's not a whole lot of like, I mean, there's nobody in the, in the city staff, uh, or, or, uh, like housing departments or, or even really the county architecture that I've seen. That's like, yeah, let's do this. Right. Cause it's a disaster for us. Right. It, it, it's going to drain city coffers in our legal department. It's going to wipe out, wipe out construction revenue. It's going to, you know, all, all these other millions of dollars that, that would be not, not necessarily tax revenue directly to the city, but economic movement in the city, that just money, passing hands, passing hands, getting paid for rent, get a, you know, get local wealth that's not extracting. Right. These are all, these are construction jobs that largely can and should go to local workers. These, these are houses that are going to be filled by local workers. Right. Again, we're not, we're not talking about like section eight housing. We're talking about working class housing. We're talking about student level housing. We're, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, where's a carpenter going to live? Where's a nurse going to live? Where's a teacher going to live? Right. Old town's great for that. Right. Especially student housing. Um, right. Lot to do. But lot, student housing, then go. that's going to imply that we're going to need some parking. It seems like for not me, without, the, the, no, assuming there's no public transit. Yeah. But a little, yeah. But if you're living in Eureka and you're going to HSU or CR, you're probably going to want a car. Otherwise CR, just CR has, has its own dedicated public transit. I believe HSU does, uh, has some through RTA. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, the, that is part of the concern and who you knows student population might not, might not be where that lands. I know a lot of students that don't want to live in Eureka because they think it's so trashy downtown. It has a reputation. What it seems to That's, me that the simplest solution for all of this is to just for the city to have a stipulation or to dedicate some form of parking that is going to be lost by building these. But again, the, there's no reason to preserve a level of parking at 40%. Okay. But what are the projections that parking demands are going to increase by having more people living downtown? So, so again, you know, we, we just broke down some of those numbers. Um, we broke down the, current projections. Well, if, if we, if we increase the, if we increase housing, right. If, if, if we do have say an eight to 10 car. So first off, it has is, it is done, really easy. Has the city done any of these projections for, okay, we're going to bring in this amount of people that are going to now be living downtown. This amount are going to have cars. This is going to increase demand for parking by X percent. They, so they are in the process of a lot like long-term studies. Um, the, that, that's the, the first phase of which was that, was that study I, I just put out there, um, was that like 40% number that, that was from the long-term study in order to, I mean, it, so there's a whole department that does this, that, that, that wants traffic to be balanced, the, that has, has that in it as part of its goals. So what department is that? Um, transit, uh, the, um, transit and safety. Uh, but it's, it's under, uh, the, um, I mean, it's under, um, city manager. It's under See, that's what causes concern with me because the city manager has proven that he doesn't care about fucking up traffic. If there's a project that he wants done, they tried to make a one way around the armory, acknowledging that it was going to fuck up traffic 
Yeah. Because there's a school there, but they wanted bike lanes and they're like, this is what we want to do. And yeah. it only stopped because they got so much pushback. And and there was a method for the community to have input on that project. Yes, but which that is was, important. But they as didn't opposed want to, to take that into a private account. developer. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But the city manager Oh, has but, shown that he doesn't care about disrupting. But it's not traffic. entirely in his hands. Like my wife, city uh, sits on the community transport and safety board. Um, that uh, an appointed body goes meets God, I think every month, uh, and sits down and and reviews these plans. Sits down with the public, takes public comment, makes recommendation to to city staff and, and city council. Like there are, there are mechanisms by which people. People have access to voice their opinion, have their concerns heard, which would be removed by this initiative, <laughs> right? Because now we're talking about builder's remedy and by right, right? Which does not have those components in place. There would be no way for, I, so right now, all of these developments are subject to public input, right? So if the community says, there's not enough parking where you're putting this specific housing project on this specific piece. We'd like you to reserve this strip so that my housing parking, which is on street across the street, isn't impacted. There's a mechanism for that to happen, right? There, and, and whether you feel like you're not heard usually determines, uh, uh, has a lot to do about whether it broke your way. <laughs> Um, and for, and for these people, uh, so far it hasn't right. Be, because housing, the, the needs for housing are so important, right? Be, because the, the level of necessity for housing is an outweighing consideration. I don't, I, right? I don't dispute the idea that we need housing. Yeah. It, Nobody does. And Nobody I don't does. dispute that it sounds like there's some fuckery that's been attached to this initiative to block some stuff and uh, come up the works. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and at the beginning, that is what always draws me to something is if, someone, if somebody's fucking around, they need to find out. But <laughs> like, again, it, do, it sounds like the easiest solution would be to apply some form of parking well, to mediate but the, but the, the and the systems for that exist, right? What, what I'm saying they is exist, that, but they have not, there's no intention of applying them. No. I mean, is there a one way street on around the armory? Like yeah, I live a block left, from there. They're they like, left the option open to still implement it. Yeah, they didn't they, shut it down and say, oh, people have spoken and there's a pretty significant amount of people that are not happy with us doing this. We're not going to do it. They said, oh, okay, we're going to continue to. Because they, ha because they ha still have the same problem that they need to solve. And that is the bottleneck at, Walma at Walnut that is because of a recently approved housing development uh, by the ballparks there that was, that had some fuckery attached to it. Um, right. They, they are attempting to, as you say, plan for that future impact. No, but that, right? that plan that, project was not to mediate traffic in any way. 
it was, they acknowledged, they came out and acknowledged that if we do this, it is going to severely fuck up traffic and make it significantly worse. They realized that. Like that's, They knew it going into it. Well, they knew there was going to be an initial impact. What they, what, <laughs> part of the problem was they did their initial testing outside the school season. And there's a school right there. That, yeah, which that, was dumb. That completely fucks it. Yeah, no, it, it was a flawed implementation. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Do I trust a developer to do it better? No. <laughs> Right. Do it like ultimately, yeah, government mechanisms are what they are, but they are transparent and they are, uh, at least have the ability to be approached by anybody with an opinion. Right. I think my hangup is uh, maybe cause I, I, I've done no research prior to talking to you because I was like, I'm going to get. It's okay. Devil, I'm devil's all advocate. Yeah, this shit. I'm going to get all of it. Right? Today. That's, that's what the, you, you're drinking gin too. Great. That's what I'm that's here what for. That's what the gin's for. Why not just have some parking? That just doesn't seem like that do. crazy of a concept to me. We do, and under current projections, it is underutilized, but bringing in 600 people is no. I mean, that's a significant amount. That's not, that's Arts not in Alive, one day, though. I would be interested to know what Arts Alive looks like. Cause we get parking gets hectic. Right. That's not, that's not in a single day or even a single year. Like th this is a core, this is over a course of several years that these development, like we, we only have, so the, we out one is the furthest along. And I think they're projected to break ground this year. The link center is maybe 18 months, two years out. Like these are, this isn't going to be like, and tomorrow, poof, 600 people. And, and we just have to. Yeah, it's a slow moving bullet, but it's still aimed at your head. So sure. you're going to have to address it eventually. Yeah, but but at least you know which way you can break. We find out where where is the parking pressure? Like which one which ones of these cuz like the the Wiot Center absolutely has parking built into it. See, that's my problem. I don't have faith in our officials to address the problem. Well, then as it presents then itself. Don't let them do their work in the dark. Don't let them get away with anything. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Keep eyes on the ball, get involved, stay involved, be involved. I tell, tell people that all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you don't trust, then you must absolutely watch. So why not just implement something as a foresight and say, okay, we're going to have maybe not an equal number of parking spots that we're displacing, but we're going to have some parking to offset this. Because so why leave it up to the developers? Why not add it as a stipulation? Well, the lease. Well, it's so currently it's not up to the developers. Um, I think uh, said that it would be up to them. It to, would be on if this initiative passes. It would be up to them. It, we don't have a we we don't have input. No, no. If the city so under the current the city's current plan, yeah. it's up to the developers if they want no. to add off street. No, no. Uh, the city owns the land, so you and I are their landlords, right? The property management company is City Hall, and the developer is our tenant. I thought we just had a conversation about how the developer can decide, and it might be beneficial for them for property value if they did add off-street parking or a little covered section where people could park. Did I misread that? It's not, okay, so... It's not required that that happen, right? But it's who not, gets to decide if not, that's built or not? The city? Uh, so... On, it, it would be parcel by parcel. It, it would it would be site by site. But the city has the ultimate decision on whether that's built or not. The city, yes, the city has an ultimate decision on whether a project goes through uh, be, because it is the landowner. 
So that decision is right. not up to the developer if they want to add that onto their plan. Correct. It's they, the, city. The, the city can ask for it. They can require require it at certain sites, not at certain sites. Again, it, get, it gives the flexibility to be able to be like, okay, at this place, it is smack center to all the parking. We've already wiped out two parking lots next to it. We must maintain X so number of spaces. So why not just say fuck you to the initiative and have the city say, we're going to stipulate we want some additional parking in whatever form that well, they have. <laughs> oh, the city wants to do that. Yeah. The city, the city doesn't want to wipe out all the parking. Like nobody is nobody, not a single person has, has actually said that that should happen. What has happened is the people that are pushing this initiative has, has said that the greenies want to take away your cars, right? That's propaganda. That's but not I've policy. Heard that from people that are, anti this initiative and pro building the housing that they don't want parking. And it's good that we don't have that because the city needs to be more walkable and we need public transport to be the we, focus. We, so on the current map, what we don't need is highly fragmented parking, right? What, what we don't need are small piecemeal parking spots that, that are always two blocks away from everywhere, <laughs> from wherever you want to be. And, and, and fragment the land use for, for the rest of it. That's what we talk about when we talk about infill. Um, so a multi-story unit can have parking, can have a transit hub, can have, can have all of these things, and it's not uh, flat, <laughs> and it's not flat and empty, right? It can add character to a neighborhood. It can create ser services and infrastructure in the neighborhood without soaking up uh, other resources. Right. I mean, the right now with, with the flexibility that currently exists with the ability to adapt situation to situation, I like that. I mean, as a consultant, as a strategy consultant, that is what I like to build that in agile businesses. It's important. Like if something changes, you have to be able to change with it. And, and it is, it is the, it is the supple reed that bends and does not break. Right. As opposed to cookie cutter, high density residential ground floor parking, end of list as the, as this initiative is putting out, right? There's no flexibility there. There's no public oversight. There is a one-to-one -one preservation of an already overabundant resource, which is parking spaces, right? And without any actual like further public benefit. No transit, no transit places, no transit hubs, no public services, no services for people that live in the building. No, no, no childcare, no gym, no coffee shop. None of that. Yeah. The no Parking. gym is crazy. What, yeah. like? Right. Because that's, I mean. I get the want for parking. I do. I understand that aspect, but it just, it feels like what this. Cost? Yeah. It feels like this. Well, not even at what cost. It just feels like this direction that is trying to be taken to get there is it whoa. makes a lot of sense in downtown san diego well i think it makes a lot of sense wherever you're building housing and people are going to be driving vehicles i think i'm pretty sure right. there's laws right if you're building an apartment complex don't you have to supply a certain allotment of parking for most Developments? Not, no, not not that I've seen actually like written any kind of state law or or ordinance or anything. I mean, there's a consideration for it, but there's not. Again, parking is a convenience; it's not a right. 
It's not, it's not, it, it exists nowhere on Maslow's hard hierarchy of needs. It's, it's, even yeah, if so, it's somewhere having above self-actualization. Isn't a right. I mean, if we're talking about rights. No, but housing, having shelter isn't a right, obviously. Otherwise we'd be violating the rights of every, every homeless person every day. Right. But I would say that having a safe, clean place is a necessity not a convenience, right? Having shelter, again, we're not, ta- we're not talking about the inalienable rights of a human, but we are talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like a safe, clean place to live, keep my stuff <laughs> much more important than not having to walk to the corner to get to my transportation. Yeah, but see, now we're going down to safe and clean opens up a whole nother rabbit hole for downtown because I don't know I'd describe it that way. Where do you think this but, is going? Do you think that this is going to pass? If there was more, if there, if there were, if there was more housing. That's what I'm saying with the chicken right. and the egg. Because this will, all th- But will people want to move there if it's dangerous and people are shitting on the sidewalk or do you have to clean that up and then bring people in? I, I don't think that it is an either or. I don't think it's I don't linear like anybody that. Anybody that can afford can afford to live downtown that wants to currently because they feel it's dangerous and they don't feel safe walking around down there. Because the housing options are pretty limited down there. But right? it's not, it's, yeah, but even if you can get apartments down there, which you can, there are mm-hmm. apartments down there, people don't necessarily want to live there because it's not a safe area. Right. And I wouldn't recommend okay, anybody, I can, if I had a friend and you were like, where should I live in Eureka? Downtown is not on that and list. I, I can understand that perception personally and i get that i inhabit this body and so i am much likely less likely to be threatened by any given environment right because i am white and i am male and i am big right and i am not to be fucked with so like right so so i understand that that my experience of safety within any given space is not the same experience that other people have that having been said, and also my, my experience with homeless people is, is, is on a personal empathetic level, not on a theoretical caricature level. So homeless, homeless people don't scare me. <laughs> like if I see, if I, in fact, generally, like if, if the same local homeless folk aren't where they're supposed to be, something bad is happening, right? If JD isn't at the plaza, some shit's going down. <laughs> Right. And I should probably, probably find out what's going on. Right. That, that kind of thing. Like when you treat them as people, they are just people. Some of them are people with problems, but we have uncles with problems and we love them anyway. And if we don't, well, you know, we don't complain when we see them, but outside of that, outside of like that, that visible element of homelessness, we've got property crime. We've had, I mean, the incidence of violent crime is not downtown, right? Most of the violent crime in the city and the county is not in Old Town. And if it is, it's usually homeless on homeless, right? If we're talking about violent crime, then we're talking about a, an assault between two homeless folks, right? That, that, is, that is largely what we see. But still, that so, property crime, that still breeds an area of a location that you don't necessarily want to live right so how do you change that 
You don't change it by keeping parking lots. One, we, we already talked about that. Parking lots are not a community safety net positive, <laughs> right? If you have parking, then you want it to have, then you want to have it, like you said, in an apartment building, right? In, in somewhere that's at least monitored, which is not a parking lot, right? Those parking lots don't have cameras. Those parking lots don't have any of the things that, are, that um, an apartment's off-street parking would have. Potentially. Right? And again, nobody is saying that we absolutely must not have any parking at these facilities. What we're saying is a ground level parking guarantee means that there's no such thing as affordable housing in Old Town, right? The, the, because they put it into that level of specificity, that's a poison pill for the whole thing, right? Asking for there to be part. And again, this is by initiative. So there is no flexibility and no alteration. There is ground, there is high density re residential above ground level parking. No, no other method. Rooftop parking? No. Ground level only. Do and, they that, have projections and that guarantees on that? the earthquake, the, earth, the, the earthquake construction problem. Do they have projections on what that would add feathered out cost-wise? I haven't seen, oh, as, as far as like, what that, why that, how much that would break out of the affordable housing element? Oh, I mean, it's different project to project, but the, I mean, so, soft bellied architect architecture is notorious in construction, right? It, it adds, I mean, depending on the, cause we're, then we're talking about like how high is the structure? How, what, what are the actual dimensions of it? Is it on a slope? What, what, like there, there's a lot of individual things, but like easily 30, 30% 30 increase on an average project because of the, the, the level of earthquake proofing you have to do both in the foundation and in, in the subsequent up, uh, up, upper floors. Right. And if, and some kind of attempt at reinforcing the center, because again, the problem isn't, the problem is there is no interior structure to support any, any of that movement, any shift in balance, just like, just takes the whole thing. Whereas if there was like, say a res a commercial, uh, first floor, uh, like a, a little shop. Uh, or a set of little shops. You go in, there's, you know, two rows of so shops on the side, like um, office offices, anything like that has more supportive uh, load-bearing structures. You know, you can put in more, more pillow posts, uh, more earthquake proofing in that, like, because it's not an open structure. You have to put massive, deep uh, levels of reinforcement into an open structure to provide the sort of support that's going to maintain it through a level uh, category four earthquake, right? Which is what we get. <laughs> so, and once again, that, that, that kicks the fee or that kicks the level of rent up. way up, right? I mean, that doesn't get absorbed anywhere else that comes down to the consumer. Does the city have the money that they would be projected to make from the, from leasing these slots earmarked for anything in particular? Is it going to go into the general fund? So part of the idea 
to be able to keep these these rents very low is like a, just a minimal lease. What what they what they maintain by being the owner is control versus revenue, right? Because I mean, it's not a money. The government's not a re, not a real estate venture. They're not trying to make make a killing on the market. So that I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of revenue generated outside of like administrative costs, like the costs to administer the lease and, and maintain, right? Just basically what it takes to run the thing. Um, I, I don't imagine that a lot of revenue is going to be generated, but nothing is going to be cost. Um, and if revenue is generated, probably go into more housing or, or other things. Um, currently I don't think that's in the plan, but it could be. Unless we pass this initiative, in which case we don't have any options. <laughs> do you think that it has a shot of being passed? Where do you think it stands right now? <sighs> right now. Okay. So the shady land swap happened in the middle of December. And did they get the March ballot measure? Is it going to be? No. So they've got. No. I mean, November. that's still in courts, but it's, it's laid into the courts and there legitimately is. Okay. So again, assuming there are no corruption in the court. But again, we already know Rob Arkley's view about court uh, ethics. So uh, assuming no funny business at the court, there's just not a legal path to force a city to, make, to, to create a special ballot for your initiative. That's just not the way it's written. Right? If it was an off year, an election off year, you could force a special election. That could happen, but it would still happen in November. So you guys have time to get this side of the message out there. That, yeah, that, think that is the idea. That's why we're starting early. Usually a candidate wouldn't start really doing any, any big messaging pushes until after the primary ballot, but it's, it's a deep nuanced issue with a lot of numbers and a lot of reading involved. So we got to get people activated early. What do you think the odds are right now? I'd, I'd put the odds 70-30 in Eureka's favor. That is against the initiative. Um, right now, it's, it's, it's a small cabal that, I, if we do our job, if, and again, don't know if it got caught on camera. I'm the campaign manager for the no campaign on this, so take that with, with what it's worth. But if we do our job and, and get word out there and, and let people know, like, what this actually does to our housing element, like we can have debates about where we set the sliders on parking versus housing, as long as you and I, citizens of Eureka, have access to those sliders, right? If we lock the sliders in place through a, a, a ballot measure that we had no input on, like that's a different story. But getting, uh, getting that, set up to to have that flexibility to to have our ability to even have the debate and, and maybe find a viable third option and then not to ha have to plow 50 grand <laughs> into changing it right that i think is the most important part of uh, of of keeping this out Right. It's not about parking versus housing. It's not about the greens taking your, your, tr 
crook. It's not, it's not about imposing lifestyle changes or, or I mean, what it's really about is whether I, as a citizen have the ability to give input on the future character of my city. And currently we do. And I want to keep that. But right? it's up for, it's on the ballot now. It's on the ballot, right? We, we could be uh, now looking at, we could decide for ourselves not to, not to read below the headline, uh, not, not to do the digging. And if we, if, uh, if we don't get educated and we don't educate our neighbors, right? Because if someone's heard this, they're probably already the sort of person who's looking for this information. What you need to do is to sit your friend down for what, three hours or whatever, <laughs> whatever our conversations end up being, is just sit them down, make them watch this shit and say, and, and look up these staff reports and documents that we're referencing and these maps that we're looking at and actually do it. Um, because I mean, if you, you know, if you don't have three hours to, to maintain our ability to have housing, <laughs> right. That, that's, I mean, that, it seems like such, such little tedious details, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, this is how a town lives or dies. This is how I, the, the decisions 20 years ago are why the problems in old town that we're talking about exist, Right. The, these are the long-term ramifications of what we consider to be small, boring, nuanced, tedious uh, things. Like, oh, I checked a box once for that 20 years ago, and now I can't afford, uh, uh, my, my child can't afford to, to rent a house, to, to rent a one-bedroom apartment to rent a studio apartments, right? Because, because these, the, these things don't happen all at once. Like it, it, it takes time for, for all of the cumulative effects to come up, right? The, the, the striking of the housing goal numbers has its own long-term set of resolutions that has to happen that is separate from defining what a high density residential zone is that has it that's a whole, its own its own whole process so like each each separate part of this spikes our housing plan in a different way and each of those ways removes the ability for folks like you and I to actually have an impact on it moving forward right that right and and again just like the the cannabis uh uh, amendment. This this was created without stakeholder input, without community input, without without a public public process, without you know anything. Uh, passed. We wrote it, and now we're going to go pe get convince people to sign it by hook or by crook, either by honest intent and poor execution in the case of Measure A. Or as I believe, by deceptive misrepresentation in, in the case of housing for all, six million dollars in a shitty bungalow. Six million that they paid double for. Six hundred and twenty-five, six hundred and fifty thousand, or something. They put at the listed price of that fucking little bitches. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the that's the sort of thing. Like what? 
how how personal must it be? <laughs> like, how tied to somebody's ego does it have to be to to be to want to move that level of resources to push it forward? Right? I mean, like time and effort, vast amounts of money. I mean, these these are always the things that like the, that get me looking sideways. It's not somebody somebody put a put fucking six million and a shitty bungalow into into trying to make that lie real. That's shady as shit, right? That that's the sort of thing that even if I if I didn't already have my eye on this ball, that is exactly the sort of thing that would be like, I'm Minuten. Wait, wait, just one fucking minute. Like, what what's actually at play here? And even with my eye on the ball, like that move makes me wonder like is there money on the table here like have i overlooked some level of shenaniganry and and been over complimentary and over generous to the motivations of these folks like i have i always have to think about that like am i am i playing checkers here and they're playing chess am i playing the am i, am I not working on the same rule set as as some of these folks um but yeah, like to make that level of move what must be at at stake is it as petty as ego let's let Let's run around to Tulawada Island. Remember, we, we brought that up early. So, Tulawada Island. You familiar with the history of the place? Refresh my memory. Oh, God. I'm gonna need well, this. wait. I, <laughs> I'm going to have to get out of here. We, it's already 7 o'clock. Holy man. shit. We, we've been here for a minute. We put in some time. Well, then at some point, you need to do a whole episode on Tulawada Island. So okay, we, save this. We'll do another one. <laughs> right. We won't wait two years to do this next one. <laughs> Damn, Skippy. We should we should do this more often. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I was going to say I'm glad that we did this because I don't know how much of that information people actually knew. I didn't know about the $6 million in the bungalow. I didn't know about that swap. So hearing this, I really hadn't looked into this issue. That's why I was happy you got to sit down because I'm like, okay, what's going I've been hearing about it, have done, paid no attention to it because I've got other shit going on right now, but I knew you would have some things to say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I geek out on all this stuff. But that's Um, important so people can hear this and then get that information. Yeah, be it, have the time. Because again, we're in a nine to five. It takes time to absorb and, and track down this information. Um, we're going to be putting more of it on the, on the website as as we go forward. Realhousingforeureka.com. That's realhousing number four, eureka.com. Uh, that, that's where you can support the, the no on housing for all, which is a really just like sounds shitty <laughs> like i don't like they got the name. i don't like how, housing for exactly. all it's a strong name which is part of what's so shady like if you worked really hard to be able to to say yay for housing right to be able to put it on the title and that knowing what i and the consultants that they hire know about how human mentality works is just a level of deceptive manipulation that now has a $6 million and a shitty bungalow land swap behind it. Just <sighs> vote. No, <laughs> take the time do the home homework. Uh, we're also going to be, um, there's going to be signups on, uh, there's a volunteer section on the website. We're going to be doing neighborhood interviews. We're going to go, go and play Jenga going to go write questions about this initiative on Jenga blocks and people can write their own initiative and then we'll play, play Jenga and 
ask questions as the block comes out and, you know, have a go. This is grassroots. This is, this, this, this is community activism organizing. Talk to your neighbors. If, if when you do the research and you realize that I'm right, don't tell me because I already knew. Go tell your neighbor who doesn't know <laughs> uh, and, and get out there. And if you think I'm full of shit, also tell your neighbor. But maybe less now, loudly and less effectively because uh, maybe I don't want your neighbor to vote that way. <laughs> okay. Well, Thomas, thanks for doing this, man. This was a lot of fun. Damn, Skippy. It's 7 o'clock. Let's get the hell out of here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. All right.